Biggie. The Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC 281 After Party Edition with special guest co-host Ryan Wagner from thefightsite.com. We went deep into the techniques, recapping the action, and had fun doing so. So strap in, folks. Your reign on the top was short like leprechauns as I crush so-called willies, thugs, and rapidons. Get in that ass, quick, fast, like Ramadan. It's that rap phenomenon, Don Dada. Fuck Papa, you got to call me Francis M.H. White intake like totes, tote iron Was told in shootouts, stay low and keep firing Keep extra clips for extra shit Who's next to flip on that cat with that grip on rap? The most shady, Frankie baby Ain't no telling where I'm Hey yo, what's up everybody? Dan Tom here, Techie Neck Podcast you Might know me from uh, such films as No, just kidding, like MMA Junkie and, 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 and work on the Action Network Shout out to the Prop Squad who three on our sheets this week uh, but in this year's program, the Protect Your Neck podcast, we break down high-level MMA, but in a slightly different way. Uh, it's going to be a recap, an after-party edition, and uh, like for the first time like since summer, uh, you know, I-, I-, I will be having a, a-, a beverage, some ranch water that I'll blame on the Verbal Tap podcast, Kevin. Uh, Kevin Phillips for getting me, uh, you know, g- giving me a taste for it. I've been a good boy, so I'm treating myself tonight, and I'm treating you guys, because you're not just stuck with me. That's right, I'm bringing on a guest, one of the guests who I shout out all the time on the show because he's just one of my favorite analysts, and I'm glad to have him back on this program. Uh, that's Ryan Wagner. That's at Ryan A. Wag Sistema on Twitter. Uh, of course, of the fight site. That's the fight-site.com um, where uh, he actually, uh, they've been actually making him go back to work. Maybe we'll talk about here uh, when we get to the Chandler <laughs> fight. What's up, Ryan? Hey, not too much. Doing pretty good. How about you, Dan? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm I'm good now. It's uh, it's it's nice to um, you know, be able to chat with you. Um, it's nice to yes, be in the black from a bit of a gambling perspective. So forgive me when I recap those results and mix that in our conversation here, Ryan. But more importantly, back to our conversation and me and you here. Um, it's just nice to not kind of feel crazy, you know, uh, when you make analysis or or the not fun part of analysis, which is the prediction part, like whether you're you bet or into betting or not, like. I'm sure you can relate, Ryan. Like you understand, at the very least, that analysis isn't about necessarily the prediction. I've talked about that with like Connor yeah, on the show before. Absolutely. Yeah, you yeah you get it. So it's nice, like especially when your prediction is kind of like maybe not that popular, and a lot of people you respect uh, go the other way, and rightfully so. And no no problem with that. By the way, we'll talk about that here. But yeah, I was like, oh, am I just like what am, am I just am I seeing crazy stuff? You know, my. Uh, you know, it's too much devil's lettuce. What's going on here, Ryan? And uh, so it was. It was cool to uh, to see Pajeda come through. Which, uh, Pereira come through. It's two R's. Uh, I've been fucking. I've been fucking it up all week. Uh, apologies, <laughs> John Anik. Yeah, absolutely. This was always one where, like, the basic dynamic, everyone kind of head down. Where Izzy would probably be winning minutes, but obviously Pajeda is always dangerous at any moment. And honestly, I think Pajeda surprised me with how consistent his performance was here, aside from the grappling, which was less, very much less consistent. But on the feet, he was scoring pretty well. He was competitive with Izzy in moments. I honestly expected him to have more trouble getting to Adesanya on the feet um, and to rely more on like creating those big moments rather than being able to just kind of needle him with little punches. 
Yeah, that's funny you say that because, I, again, I'm someone who picked uh, Pereira here, and I did by decision, and we'll talk about with what I was wrong about, mainly off the top, is that I was making one of the uh, bold predictions that it was going to be a slow, boring fight, which I don't think was too bold a prediction, right? Like, with uh, especially with Izzy and, and uh, how he's been fighting, um, regardless of your opinion on it, and, you know, the mental aspect, the psychology kind of going into this, um, which I did hear uh, one of my dessert podcasts, shout out to Heavy Hands, uh, Miguel Class there, was talking about that, and I, I felt a lot less crazy uh, hearing Miguel talk about that. So I shout also to thought him. that was pretty likely, yeah. Yeah, and shout out to, speaking of, of, of amazing analysts there, uh, 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 Kyle Mack there from uh, C- Combat Chronicles. Uh, he also a, a fights a a, uh, a fight site. Uh, he, he's like he's like Professor X, you know. I don't know if Professor X ever <laughs> leaves the X Men at some point to, to fend he's for themselves, dad. but yeah, yeah, he he is Professor X. But yeah, no, like like you know what you were saying there though. Like I expected him to have trouble closing the distance too, as somebody um, who picked uh, Pereira, and you know it. it, it he he was throwing the jab, which I think is an underrated um, tool. M- maybe not to to, to to someone like you or, or uh, who has the eye for uh, eye for it. But generally, the analysis right was oh left hook, left hook, left hook. That's all yeah. we heard, right, right, Ryan. And he did have other tools that obviously people like yourself and many others are familiar with. Um, so I was excited when he was getting those off, and I noticed that he was hitting to the chest and neck, which. He was Glover was talking about post fight when he uh, kind of invaded the commentary booth because he was just dadded up like excited right Glover, <laughs> and he was saying our, our plan was to punch to the neck and chest and he wasn't doing it and he wasn't throwing the right hand until the later round like we we, we wanted him to and that was something I was calling for Ryan where I was saying not that obviously the left hook wasn't going to be there but Pereira's uh, proprioception is just so good that's what I kind of attribute his knockout power. And effectiveness too. He really is a good example of proprioception, um, and he can really, when he gets the timing in kickboxing, we've seen him really split crosses down the center, whether he's splitting punches or just like intercepting um, a kick and you know doing the whole line beats a circle to a big round kick up high, right? Like he just had, once he finds it, and it felt like it was there. And obviously, I'm rooting. I've got betting interest, so I'm like doing the shouting at my TV thing. But it was kind of comforting to know that that was actually their, uh, you know, the the corner was too, as far as like, you know, they figured the the uh, right hands off the jabs were going to be there, and I know everybody was very left hook focused. Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, what you were saying about punching to the chest that was important here, especially against somebody like Adesanya. So when he gets his back against the cage, he starts doing those rapid direction changes, the head feints, like juking. Um, and what he's doing is trying to bait guys into committing to something. Uh, and as soon mm-hmm. as they do, as soon as you commit your weights, uh, he's going to slip out the side. Pajeda, by throwing those to the chest, he's preventing Izzy from cleanly slipping. And like once you commit and he slips, he's outside your shoulder. That's pretty much it for him being on the cage there. He can just pivot around you. Uh, he can just circle out. He doesn't have to deal with that exchange anymore. But by doing that, Pajeda was able to keep him in front of him. And then when Izzy did circle off, he would still be in his stance to follow up with a left hook or to circle with him. I was really impressed with Pajeda's ability to pressure him to the cage. Uh, First of all, the first part of that in any fight against someone like Adesanya is dealing with the kicks. Um, We saw in the Paulo Costa fight, Costa tried to come out aggressive and push him back to the cage and work in combinations and all that. Uh, But every time he stepped forward, Izzy would just punt his leg. And he had no chance of doing any of that because he couldn't deal with the kicks. Pajeda is somebody that could have struggled quite a bit with that. 
He's had trouble dealing with leg kicks before, um, obviously being so lead hand heavy. Most of his uh, primary attacks require committing weight to the front foot, which leaves him open for somebody like Adesanya to kick his leg. Mm -hmm. But he did a great job uh, pulling his leg back at the knee. It's kind of a... Um, mm -hmm. Now that guys have been more on the calf kick, we've seen that as kind of a response. The Aldo versus Pedro Munoz fight being a good yes. example, where guys will respond by, instead of checking, just kind of hinging their leg back at the knee. And because his stance isn't really conducive to checking, there's often a lot of weight on his lead foot. Uh, it's bladed, so he can't turn it out quickly. He would just hinge back at the knee, and he might take the kick, and it might knock him a little bit off balance, but it wasn't landing with weight on his leg, and he could just continue to advance. Uh, he also would square up his stance when he had Izzy on the cage. Uh, so if you have a more linear stance uh, with your lead foot turned in, which Pajeda often has as somebody who's pretty lead hand heavy and primarily a boxer. But when he got Izzy to the cage, he would square his shoulders and hips and often just skip along with him. So when Izzy did his rapid direction changes, if you're in your boxing stance and you're trying to punch, you'll just slip out the side. But Pajeda would kind of abandon committing to a punch in that moment and just skip along with him in that squared stance. Uh, and he's not giving Izzy anything to work with to get off the cage. If Izzy punch, punches back, that's fine because he's still there. He's forced to stand in front of Pajeda in exchange. So he did a really good job just kind of occupying space and not letting Adesanya uh, play his usual like circling and sidestep games. Yeah, no, I, I noticed that too. And this sounds like a weird comparison because uh, it almost reminded me when he started squaring up like a obviously different and much technically tighter, but almost like a Ben Rothwell. He just almost was lurching over Adesanya. Like, yeah. Obviously, he's not like Hodor where he's got like, you know, you know, he's like half half his half his body is dead and he, he's slanted this way like Ben Rothwell <laughs> would, would, would stalk opponents. Like, I'm not making a direct comparison, but I, I did notice that squared stance. That I, I like that you point that out there. And um, the kick, the calf kick, uh, and that just kind of leg kick defense as far as um, the step back, the hinging at the knee, and those variations. It's funny because... I was actually uh, working those. Not just you know, I don't just I don't just hit up my guy Ryan Wag here for uh, uh, some Muay Thai stuff, which I'm in, like obsessed with now, and like uh, <laughs> really like using a lot of Sidichai, uh body kick building and stuff, and that, that I've really taken oh, yeah. on to that. But actually getting like uh, coaches who come from Muay Thai, and we would do those drills, and it was it's great because that kind of kick defense I, I would at least argue, or maybe for me also parlays to a lot of the kick defense we're seeing more MMA guys do as far as pass-throughs for body when you start going up uh, up a phase or up a level to the midsection. Um, yep. you just, it just something about the movement and the defense. It, 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 it tunes you in, and we're seeing guys that are – I'm just seeing more people that are better schooled about that, which makes sense. I mean, we, the sport should be getting you know better and sharper. The information's out there, right? Um, another dynamic as far as the directionality – so against Whitaker, uh, one of the things I talked about ahead of time of the rematch with Adesanya was that I felt that the, the fighter that would make the other fighter come forward would have an inherent edge in exchanges. When you look at kind of their raw history of both Whitaker and Adesanya as far as like their harder matchups, so to speak, or outright losses in Whitaker's case in MMA. Um, and But, you know, when I was breaking this down and looking at their kickboxing matches, because I... I I heard a lot of people say that it, you could just throw them out the window and they meant nothing, and I, I felt that was really uh, wrong for not just the psychology part, uh, shouts to Miguel, um, but mainly for Alex Pereira's you know, sample size because there's not much of a sample size to draw from. 
You know, right. and again, it's two different sports, obviously, but there are certain things which obviously, you know, Ryan, when you do these deep, deep dives and profiles, you can kind of, uh, and for you gamblers out there, this is where it intersects with our analysis, is that if you're trying to trying to forecast, you know, improvements or uh, uh, certain performances, um, going back to look at their progressions may tell you a lot about that. Is it going to guarantee a result? Of course not. But it is going to tell you how capable they are of their learning curve, right? Uh, you know, obviously, you're more apt to make these jumps in your uh, young young 20s to mid 20s, right? Statistically, but each to each his own. Everybody's different. You got late bloomers, the old young veteran trope, right? Um, or the early burnouts that you thought were going to be something. So I, I always think it's kind of important to go back. And when I went back to watch Ryan, um, I felt like that kind of analysis that I leaned on prior. I, I kind of threw that out the window when I was presenting this matchup because I didn't know. It felt like, you know, like like, like the person, like they noted in commentary, the person who was coming forward um, was having the more success, as, as reductive but true um, as that is. Uh, did you have any thoughts on the directionality beforehand uh, and after seeing how it unfolded? Yeah, uh, coming in, I figured that Izzy would probably try to play off the back foot just as it's been something he's been t trending more towards as his MMA career has gone on. And I also expected Pajeda to have more trouble pressuring than he did. And so I thought that Adesanya would be able to either intercept him coming in or, or circle out effectively once he had him on the cage. But Pajeda did a really good job shutting that down for the most part. Uh, and yeah, Izzy's most of his success, I think, in this fight, if I remember correctly, came more in open space. Uh, mm -hmm. Or at least when he was kind of a step off the cage. And then when yeah. Pajeda was able to back him up. Uh, he spent most of his effort trying to fake him out and get off. And I thought that um, that kind of hurt Adesanya here, where it might have been a better idea to invest more in like more committed feints or attacks in open space uh, to buy some of that time and yeah. space that he could use to then circle off before he hit the cage. Um, I think that they were both kind of giving each other a little bit of undue respect in certain ways. Neither had much success on the counter in this fight and neither really established themselves to be like a really threatening counter puncher they're both throughout their career have kind of struggled to make that work as well especially with Adesanya in his MMA career people kind of think of Adesanya as uh, like a devastating potent and incredibly skilled counter puncher mm -hmm. and he is dangerous in certain situations he has a good left hook when guys lose their yeah. feet in pocket exchanges or overcommit. Uh, but he really isn't like the kind of sharpshooter who's going to sit on the outside, pick off your jab, and like punish you hard for throwing it. Pajeda uh, is the same way. He was more of a counterpuncher in his kickboxing, mm -hmm. uh, but in MMA, he hasn't been as comfortable defensively seeing shots coming and sitting down on them with hard counters. So they were both kind of reluctant to yeah. commit that much in open space. And when they got to the cage, there were a lot of exchanges where they were kind of sitting in the pocket, fainting a lot. And then someone would just kind of throw out a jab, and it would freak the other guy out. Yeah. Uh, and there were there was never really like much threat of that being countered, but they were both kind of reluctant to do that. I thought, especially with Pajeda, he had a lot of success using his jab, both as a committed strike to sting Izzy in the pocket with, and just as kind of a light touching throwaway thing to get him to move. Um, but there was never really any threat coming back at him when he threw that jab, yeah. and that relying on it more. Uh, using it to bait out more reactions and set up as big punches probably would have made that a lot easier for Bajeda to set up his bigger shots. 
Yeah, I agree. And I know a lot of people commented as far as theories with length parity, which is always kind of a, the elephant in the room. And I don't, I don't yep. necessarily disagree with that, um, especially after seeing this fight, right? Uh, but what I will say it was, at least this is my, and feel free to correct me, and that, that, this was something I wanted to correct myself. Um, when I was speaking of scoring, I do not regularly watch kickboxing, which I've said before, but I just wanted to re-clarify that. Um, I have not done the work and the research to scoring or have the experience with scoring that I've done with MMA, which is not a, a ton, uh, you know, uh, in comparison to some of my colleagues, right? But uh, I just wanted to say that uh, I'm not a pro in that or anything like that. But what I noticed when I went back to kind of do the, the, the deeper dive of their noticeable, notable kickboxing matches, and I watched uh, a lot more um, on Pareto this time, was that they both shared some common threads as far as fighters, and not just the same fighters like the Jason Wilnesses of the world, but as far as like, you know, uh, sh surprisingly sometimes not necessarily long fighters, but shorter, stouter fighters who had more pressure, Dutch style, low kicks, discipline, could work with a high guard really well, um, and, and could do you know do certain things, and, and you would see that kind of common thread. And when I went to look at them against long fighters, which was something. I wasn't as worried about, but I wanted to see long fighters, long jabs. I remember going back to look at that ahead of the Strickland fight just to just to refresh myself and familiarize myself, yep. and then obviously did it much more. And the length parity, parity didn't seem to um, bother either as much, but particularly Alex, it didn't seem to bother him, which was uh, another kind of plus going in here. Do you have any opinions as far as the length parodies on either uh, translations from kickboxing to MMA? Yeah, it's been a while since I watched either of their kickboxing fights, but I remember um, Adesanya struggling a little bit with Yusri Belgarwi. Uh, mm. And yeah. Belgarwi isn't a very good boxer. He's mostly uh, like kind of a knee or outside kicking guy. Mm. And the length did get give seem to give Adesanya some problems there. I do think that the length was important um, here for enabling Pajeda's success, but I think the biggest thing with the length, I think, is that he didn't have to take an extra step to reach Adesanya, whereas somebody like Whitaker, uh, his first step isn't going to close distance into his jab, so he needs to figure out some way to like feint his way into jabbing range, because he isn't setting up in jabbing range, whereas Pajeda could reach out and touch Izzy. But that was also a lot to do with how he handled the pressure, how he was able to crowd him without succumbing to the leg kicks and threaten back at kicking range and how he was able to um, consistently keep Adesanya in front of him on the cage. Mm -hmm. So while I do think the length was important in those exchanges, uh, it was also very much to do with how Pajeda was using it, how a lot of other guys Adesanya's fought haven't been able to. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And even though he, there was some of that hesitancy to sit down in his counters, and there were some doubts as far as, you know, um, how good is his footwork and obviously the bigger cage would parlay to Izzy maneuvers and, and flexibility um, inherently it wasn't just a good kickboxer but it was a guy in, in Alex who uh, could come forward and, and, and pressure counter with that dynamic right um, yeah. you know uh, more popular one of the most popular you know uh, again completely different fighters but McGregor obviously a, a real popular fighter who could counter but he did so pressuring and, um, you know, we could nitpick, you know, the, the footworks or approaches, but that inherent, uh, that, you know, that inherent application back to the proprioception, at least that I, that I speak of, um, just makes him really kind of have a knack to, to kind of figure things out in that space. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, uh, r r real quick, uh, Kyle uh, McLaughlin says, uh, love how bold you were to pick 
Fedeta Dan, thank you, sir. Alex Jab was a major factor, yep, in this fight. Ramrod, no tell. Didn't allow Izzy to dictate range and pace as he liked to. Took their toll. Yeah, I, I saw, um, who was it on the, the UFC had on their post show? Uh, forgive me, I'm going to get my guy Kyle uh, upset, for, if, if, I think, if I if I get this wrong here. But I, I forget, they, they, they had a, ah, I forget, a, a boxing alum. But he he was comparing it to a, a Foreman Ali, a Foreman Juan. Um, but uh, I was gonna ask what the you know the, the kinds of jabs because it was more more heavyweight jabs I guess maybe you would you would uh, you know some of the, the the great heavyweights of old you would compare uh, Pareda's jab to but it's just something I want to see more it was it really was yeah. a, a nice weapon was it not Ryan? It absolutely was. I wish he would have um, thrown a little bit more combinations off of it. He mm -hmm. was mostly using it as a single pot shot. Yeah. But he did a good job both using it as like a light flashing strike to get Izzy moving out and out of position so he could follow him and also switching it up and like stepping in deep and using it as a like that really solid ramrod jab y yes sir yes sir uh real quick shouts in the chat to chris london theo c jr james kendrick zang gang in the house what's up we'll talk about that next i got a couple more points i want to shoot by and uh, i'll recap the numbers for you guys here in a second as everybody's piled in i see my chronic combat conversations Dan, I'm sad. I came here to. Uh, it, it's all good, man. You know what? We'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll try to cheer you up. I know. I know. Um, my guy Tyler is a big uh, a big a big Izzy fan, and uh, you know what? Um, the stoppage. You know what? I I I know. You know, uh, a lot of people are always upset at these things. Um, I know. I definitely been on the wrong end from a betting and picking wise as far as the standing stoppages because it's always funny. Everybody points out like I'm always asking for more standing stoppages and whenever we get them it's always like fights i bet on the wrong side i'm like you. yeah or like i, I forget like Maybe uh, not on that one then like i forget i was re-watching we'll, we'll get to arce but like uh i, I bet i bet him in round three because like he finishes all tall guys in round three except andre Ull, who <laughs> probably he should have finished in round three because the finish comes in round two and it was a standing stoppage that wasn't like anything like this and it was also ironic because it was Chris Tyone, and I don't know if you remember Chris Tyone or familiar with that ref, Ryan, but he was the ref that was like allowing like a bunch of comebacks in like the first year of the pandemic, where like the Trevin oh. Jones, Timur Valiev, I forget, but he was like it was like the same ref that was that. that I remember and, the Valiev Trevin Jones fight. Yeah, that was that was bad. Yeah, yeah, he was like it was like him and Keith Peterson that were just letting guys like like Kumite rules out there. And so I was just kind of funny. I was like, oh, this ref, of, of, of all times we get the standing stoppage in MMA, it's the guy that's been letting people go life and death. All right. Uh, I love Chris Tyone, by the way. So he's a, he's a great uh, local ref um, out here. Um, but, but yeah, uh, people were upset with the stoppage. I feel like, uh, you know, I, I think I saw our guy Kyle Mack, you know, still works from Izzy. And I think, think you know, Izzy and Izzy fans should, uh, you know, should thank Mark Goddard, who's an excellent referee. Um, you know, betting bias aside, like, man, Props to Izzy. I mean, how tough is Izzy a to just even try to stay on his feet uh, in some semblance? But um, yeah, I didn't have any problem with the stoppage. I mean, the, those things were, were 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 serious damage makers, and I, I want Izzy to be okay. He was getting swarmed. He'd already gotten dropped, and when he, when he got up, he wasn't intelligently defending himself. He was starting mm -hmm. to slump over. I didn't have any problem with the stoppage. Not at all. Um, I wouldn't have had any problem with it if they let it go on until he got more decisively put down. Uh, if you want to argue that it's a championship fight and that you should be a little bit more liberal with that, that's fine with me. But uh, nothing bad about the stoppage, in my view. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and it wasn't one of those things either where like he was just trying to be even or trying to balance out from what he did before. Uh, like, it, like, 
you know, Pereira was, was was saved by the bell, but like he, he wasn't like you know it wasn't like a, a situation where like that should have could have been stopped. Like we'll get to it, which I'm not I'm not upset about. I didn't bet or anything like that. But like for example, you could have argued that Poirier Chandler could have been stopped in round one. You know what I'm saying? Like which is crazy yeah. for MMA fans. They're like, what? What are you talking about? He was still breathing. <laughs> you know, um, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that here. Uh, last but not least, I had um, not that it matters, obviously, because uh, the scorecards were, were, were nil. Um, I had Izzy 3 1 as well. I just felt like it was a lot closer, maybe even round four. You could argue was was a lot closer than maybe people were giving credit for. And I wonder, I talk about this a lot, Ryan, the effect of commentary, right? And especially for someone like, you know, like, like who isn't a fan favorite of Izzy, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, I get it. But like even like Cormier at a certain point was like oh I I he just randomly like and it was like after it already happened in like round five and he goes or like it was the round after is he almost got the finish and Cormier just goes like he like he had a bet or something like he goes ah oh, I wish I wish he heard him and took him down uh, I wish I wish he took him down with like you know uh, earlier in the round and it's like and, and then he didn't add on anything to it and it's just like a weird awkward dead sounds in the commentary booth and it's just like okay DC so you're pretty much saying you wish you wish Izzy won. All right. Okay. This is what we're getting tonight. <laughs> so, and yeah, then we get overexcited a lot of bias. and aren't the most careful with what they say, to put it lightly. Yeah, and like again, I I scored it the way everybody else did despite my betting bias, even with my betting bias, yeah. I was still scoring it for Izzy, but uh, again, cr- crazy Brian, uh yet another card in combat sports where people attack the body and it changed the tempo of the fight, especially if you know what you're looking at and more often than not, affected itself in the result, even as a volatile sport of combat sports. It's, and, and the people who compete in these combat sports, Ryan, will say that they would rather get hit in the b- head, in need in the head, than get hit in the body again because it 100%. hurts so damn much. But but yet, Absolutely. but yet, 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 call me crazy. And again, I'm not trying to read the scorecards from Yano Malley or anywhere else because you could literally pick any controversial scorecard in MMA where you think this. Everybody thinks this person should have won and this person lost. It's usually the big punch to the head that we don't really have a good clarity of impact is getting more weight than consistent debasing, showing visual effect from fighting spirit to debasing stances, multiple points of the written criteria. Um, yet that 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 is constantly you know on the wrong end of these scorecards. So uh, I just Definitely. wanted to, to just and point that out for the that's something we had. Time brought up yet but Pajeda's body work was pretty significant I think yes uh, he was hitting the body while at range in the I think it was the third round the one that Izzy wrestled him he had that lovely um, sequence where he came in with a left hook and ducked right off of it anticipating a counter yeah and used that uh, to clinch Izzy and turn him around and set up a perfect body knee it landed super clean and it visibly backed Izzy off and Pajeda uh, clearly thought he hurt it, Adesanya, and he probably did, because he immediately followed up with a straight to the body and then tried yes. to kick it too. Yeah, and uh, he knew he knew it because he was chasing, and like commentary was slow to pick it up. They're like, "Oh well, is he's backing up here?" Like, yeah, I don't know yeah. why is he backing up, guys. It was almost like he's been getting hit with hard shots, <laughs> got hit with on one three of the most levels shots of the fight. Like, and and and, and that's the thing that, I, that was pissing me off too. I, I'm glad you brought up that knee to the body because some of the most significant ones came when it was his back to the fence, and that's what I tell people all the time where. It's not that you shouldn't uh, grade 
these little knees. Uh, shout out to my guy Dan Urban, who he calls them Logan Storley knees, uh, referencing the Michael Penn and Page <laughs> fight, which I still haven't watched, but I just find it hilarious. I haven't, but I, I can I, visualize exactly how, what he means. Me too, me too. That's what I was about <laughs> to say. Yeah, like I know exactly. What, like obviously those should count, and obviously I would encourage a fighter I'm cornering to do to do something with the positions, right, under the sake of criteria. But something yeah. I always explain to listeners on here, and, and I'm sure you can second Ryan, is that like. Some like the more leveraging knees, more often than not, you'll see is in MMA, especially with the cage and the way you can prop and position, um, and, and depending on underhook and context and yada yada yada. But the person with their back to the cage can actually def- de- land the harder knees. Um, um, yeah. But but they're often to the body, and there's not a great view on them. And again, back to the value, the criminal undervalue, which is why people like me, you, heavy hands, Kyle Mack, Combat Chronicles, Fight Site guys are always screaming at the top of our lungs like body work like you know like Glover and Yuri are almost knocking each other out and it yeah. ends in a fifth round submission and what is what does Glover attribute to it he was hurt from the body that's what messed him up from from rounds prior and i know the yeah. scoring can't account for that and this or that but it's just like okay yeah we can't account for that but how many times do we play god and go oh that rocked him because Joe Rogan said he was rocked and big punch go bang to the head you know, like, 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 as if we don't take that liberty a thousand times in a round the other way, right? But it's God, so consistently God, God a sticky forbid. point for judges, and it doesn't seem to get better. It's tough, you know, and I'm not, and and I, I, I will defend, you know, the good judges to the point of like, obviously they're trained to grade body work and leg work, and there's plenty of examples where we can find where like they've done. It's clear, like we can deduce that okay, judging by their scorecard, they gave proper uh, care to the leg kicks. But yeah. I just think it's one of those things where it's human. It's just it falls into the human uh, bias factor, which we see with effective striking and grappling, folks. We heard it, you know, on on, on commentary today, even you know, uh, from someone I respect, where you just hear that thing where they go, oh, they can't decide to strike, and then it goes to grappling. It's striking first. It's like no, it's it's what's being effective. It's effective striking yeah. and grappling, and even John McCarthy, who I love, and and uh, you know, uh, more than most, and will defend. He gets this wrong, at least according to ABC and what they're currently teaching. So this isn't me saying it. This is according to the courses and the people like active judges like Kevin McDonald teaching these courses are saying, which is if the where he goes, oh, the majority take place uh, of the round take place on the round, then it's a grappling round. And I think that's poor language. Like uh, there's there's a common sense of that. It's like, yes, correct. If majority of it's striking or whatever, obviously we're, we're grading the striking or if it's on the ground, who is the more effective grappler? Like there's a common sense part, like, yes, but the way that it's worded so often is that you get this effed up version of telephone to now where people think like, oh, well, that means we don't we don't judge the other part at all. The other part doesn't matter yeah, at all. Yeah, if you're sitting in guard for two minutes and 51 seconds, it's not like hurting the guy on the feet isn't going to be scored, isn't going to take precedence over that. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's more of a common sense thing. Like, you, you know it when you see it. And that's kind of the annoying. I think we've, we've kind of spun ourselves in a rabbit hole. I don't want to go into a scoring talk. But I, yeah, yeah, I felt but like the, the body work throughout the fight was great. I thought not, it not was being, pretty significant. Um, it's with Izzy uh, doing the wrestling in round three. There was a lot of potential for that to snowball out of control for Pajeda. Uh, he was probably not as fit to be competitive later in the fight as Adesanya, yeah. Yeah. especially with Adesanya spinning around on top and that body work consistently needling the body and the clinch in that range helped equalize that. It also did a a really good job he did a really good job of dissuading the clinch for Izzy because that was clearly part of Adesanya's strategy uh intercepting him with the clinch in the pocket and wearing on him but while he was trying to go to that head and arm lock 
uh, it was kind of loose and he wasn't really either committing to like all the way in or all the way out. He wasn't pressing in tight with the underhook and controlling him or keeping himself in good kneeing range. He was kind of just hanging out in mid-range mm-hmm. and Pajeda was capitalizing on that with knees and body punches. And even if they weren't huge, he was keeping it up the output consistently, uh, making sure that Adesanya wasn't owning the clinch and couldn't just sit there comfortably and wear on him. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, before we push on to the ne- next fight, I just want to get a Get get my guy Kyle here in the conversation. He says best way to be. By the way, go subscribe to uh, Combat Chronicles. Um, also, Chronic Combat Conversations. Who's in the house? You know, I know that those run kind of similar, so I just want to shout both. Anyways, Kyle Mack says best way to beat Pereira is to push him back. Izzy in their first fight, Kishenko, for example, and you can see it in Alex's early MMA bouts. If you can push him back, you can blunt his attacks a bit. Thoughts on that, uh, Ryan? Yeah, that's absolutely true. Kyle points out the Kishenko fight. Um, That's a great example. Pajeda, he's a lot more dangerous on the front foot. When he gets pushed back, he has that really tall kind of bouncy stance, Mm -hmm. uh, and it tends to collapse. His footwork isn't as good on the back foot as it is on the front foot. Uh, So well on the front foot, uh, he's great at pursuing you, keeping you lined up for his big hooks. He also has a consistent kick and knee attack that he uses to line guys up. Mm -hmm so he can land his big punches but on the back foot he tends to stand up tall step out of stance uh, and when he's swarmed he often doesn't have as good eyes for counters as he does when he's pursuing in the um the second fight with adesanya there's a lot of sequences where adesanya is swarming him uh he has pajeda pressed to the ropes and he's teeing off on him and pajeda isn't offering much threat back Yep, absolutely. Jim Carrasso says, "I'm a big fan of Izzy, but that was a fantastic fight from both. That's a great, healthy way to to to, to, to you know be able to to be able to enjoy it because it really, it really is. Uh, you know, to, to a tweet you 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 uh, you punted off on Twitter, Ryan. You know, it really um, can't be understated, right? Uh, kind of in closing, um, give your give your kind of thoughts on that uh, as far as now that we saw the." I don't want to say, I guess, third fight, depending on how you cut it, right? Obviously, this is a different sport this fight's taking place in, but what are your thoughts now that it's over, and where do you see it going from here as we wrap this uh, portion of it up and push on to the rest? Yeah, I just want to point out that Pajeda is an absolutely elite hater, just unmatched hater energy. I've never seen anything like it in my life. He followed Izzy from sport to sport, whooping his ass. It's literally like if Shannon Briggs had beaten the hell out of Vladimir Klitschko three times. And it, 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 you know, and again, this is nothing against Izzy or, or John Jones, um, but they get brought up together a lot, and they both have that like they want to be someone's daddy energy so badly. Uh, and of course, <laughs> at least, and at least Izzy, you know, credit credit to Izzy again. Shouts to Izzy, like what the broadcast said: twenty percent of the UFC title fights. I mean, this dude's had it on his back. He deserves yeah. to get paid. He deserves a break. I hope Absolutely. he's healthy. Nothing but good things here. Uh, but at least, you know, he's out there fighting on like John Jones where he's just like posing his daddy or doing the thing where, you know, he's just tweeting, <laughs> tweeting, tweeting and, and, and opportunistically like essing on people. And it's just like, uh, you know, Izzy's out here fighting and Pereira's out here actually, Poton's actually out here being daddy. You know, daddy, daddy actually is home now. So there's that. Like six years, Adesanya is going to go to BKFC and oh, look who it is. It's Alex Pajeda. Yes. Oh, my God. He's <laughs> That'd be so unfair to have him at VKFC. That's not even fair. By the way, a la- uh, last shout out to my guy, A.B. Aaron Bronstead. I figured it was appropriate to bust out the Glover Garage shirts. 
Glover was just so excited. He was dadded up, just so excited for his boy. And uh, we'll get to the rest of Glover's garage because, you know, kind of like uh, the movie Twins, you know, like Danny DeVito says to Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, when he's talking to the scientists. And he goes, wait a minute, in order to make him, I'm just the crap that's kind of left over. You needed me to, 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 to make that, that Greek god. You know, I'm not saying that about my guys, Terman or Reyes, <laughs> but we'll get there. Well, I'm just saying we'll get there because it wasn't a great night for them, right? It wasn't a great night for them. Yeah. Um, we got a lot of Zang gang. <laughs> I know, <laughs> Ryan with the BK. I know, I almost, I, I almost freaking died here, Kyle, when he said that. I'm trying to hold the show together here. Um, Vibrant Zebra one. Hi, Ryan. It's Armin. How do you see a match between a rematch between Izzy and Alex going? We'll get that last question in before we go to, the, the, to appease the Zang gang here. Yo, what up, Armin? Um, I think there is reason to believe it would play out pretty similarly. Um, obviously, who wins is up in the air, and I don't really have a confident lean on that either way. Mm-hmm. I think for Adesanya, what I would want to see is... He's always shown like real hesitancy to link exchanges together. Uh, he always wants to like get in with a 1-2 and get out right away, even when there's openings to go further. Uh, I think that if he was able to sit commit more to sitting down on some punches and linking it changes together like that he would have I would it would tip the scales kind of majorly in his favor there were a lot of opportunities in this fight there was one particular sequence he he came in with a hand trap too um, and it landed and Pajeda was he kind of like took a sec and reset and wasn't in good position and Adesanya fainted like he was thinking about going in for another one too and just kind of stopped and moved out and I was just thinking at that moment, like, if that was Volkanovski, he was coming in with a hand trap to pretending to move out and then pounding him with another one, too. And Adesanya, he sets up these positions where he could do that really well, but he's reluctant to pursue them. And I think that if he can do that, bite down a little bit more, uh, work more of his offensive boxing at range before he gets back to the cage, that I would favor him. But if he plays a similar game of kind of trying to needle from outside, avoiding Pajeda's big offense, and being content to sit on the cage. It's hard to see somebody letting Pajeda strike with him for 25 minutes, especially in a better position where he has all of that space behind him and you're stuck to the cage and not getting caught at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my god. What if they what if they book the rematch in the small cage at the Apex? Ryan? Oh god, that would be so unfair. <laughs> you just yeah. You just, oh jeez. Making Sorry. people fight Pajeda in a phone booth. He just has like flashbacks to the Yon fight as well. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's just oh my gosh. Okay, so uh real quick before we get to, uh, uh, another new champ, uh which is uh, champ again. Uh just real quick for the uh, gamblers out there. Went seven and seven overall, not great. Um, but uh, with the way gambling goes, we can kind of creep over the finish line with not too shabby in numbers, two and three in straight plays, one and two in props, two and four in the round robin, which meant we went 0 for 1 in the long shot parlay, which is fine. Um, we still came out in the black, which we needed. It, all it does is kind of keep me in this torturous game longer. Uh, it wasn't like a big winning night, but when you're just, you know, feel like the shower scene from American History X as far as your betting recaps go, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take a winning night, Ryan. I'll take a winning night. So Hey, when you're uh, up, you're up. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's yeah. <laughs> phrasing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's my secret. Yeah. I'm always up. 
That's right, baby. It's a con- <laughs> condom, condom depot, and any 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 phallic or you know uh, erotic or kind of penile uh, supplement. It, it is very MMA. That is very MMA. Oh, yeah. We love those in this community. We do. James Kendrick, uh, Whaley working with the Hickman Bros and ADC bronze medalist Josh Hinger has seemed to elevate her um, her entire game. Um, I I would agree, and 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 you know I, I'm glad she's working with good people because I. Um, shout out to my guy uh, Clint McLean, diehard MMA podcast. Um, I gotta rewind it to, to hear it because it was like I, I was playing it in the background as I was doing stuff today, uh, listening to some of my dessert shows as I like to call it after after the haze in the barn. And he was talking about uh, I don't know if you guys are heard of anyone in the chat or Ryan you heard of this, but uh, uh, you know I think Santino DeFranco is a really smart guy from what I've heard and what I've gathered from Fight Ready where Whaley's done work, and uh, he got word of. Uh, him uh, being asked to, uh, you know, kind of get getting squeezed out politely, um, and it was after him suggesting that they really needed to work on the get-up game, and that wasn't up to snuff. And uh, so there was worry, in other words, heading in here that if there is any truth to that, um, is she working on the things she needs to work on? Um, she was definitely more active and more urgent, uh, and and you know you had a bit of the up kicks and and Carla, which you know she was having to exert a lot. She was kind of exhausted and, and uh, or, or exerting a lot, you know. So, so part of that had to do with it. Maybe she was a little easier dissuaded to let the action return. But um, did you see any massive? Uh, obviously, there's there's, she, there, there, there's improvements, and you know, she, she got you know a crazy finish or whatever. We can talk about that. But did you see any improvements of her get-up game and, and the scrambles? Uh, I can't comment too specifically on improvements. I haven't gone back and watched uh, mm-hmm. Zhang's fights all at once, just as they happened. Right. Sure. Uh, so I haven't had the opportunity to like really compare. Uh, I was impressed with her grappling, though, but especially with how her like striking process set all that up. Uh, I really liked how she established the, the little skipping lead leg low kick first to set mm-hmm. a strike that Carla couldn't really attack because uh, she couldn't. It was such a long distance strike and Carla didn't have any weapons to counter that. So she was kind of left sitting on the outside and reacting to Zhang. And that let Zhang push her back at will. It let her set the distance and prevented Carla from getting in on anything clean. Uh, And it just gave her that little extra second. So when Carla did get in on a shot, she was able to, she was in a strong position to either wrestle out of it or engage on her terms. Because she actually kind of like was willing to go into the grappling which maybe could have been a mistake, but it turned out not to be here. No, not at all. Um, and, you know, it was, it was kind of chaotic from what memory serves, so I don't even want to, um, you know, uh, lay too firm of analysis. This is more reactionary. Um, Shout-out to my guy Kyle. Uh, you, you'll probably get a more gathered uh, gathered reaction from him, Phil, and, and, and Connor. Uh, as, as I'll, I'll give another plug and a shout to, to more people I respect, the Heavy Hands podcast. Some on myself here jesus christ damn get it together um but uh but but yeah like yeah she she, and i kind of mentioned that and um i mentioned it with uh as far as and and we can talk about that too with poye and chandler where it may sound crazy um poye taking down chandler or uh or, or just trying to assert wrestling on him and just in any form right uh wrestling pressure and same, maybe maybe the same with 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 Zhang Weili. Obviously, first priority was defense, and that's what we were kind of focusing and trying to forecast on going into this fight. But things I mentioned, Ryan, basically for both those fights was that um, basically don't be surprised, especially as the fights go on, 
Uh, and they're getting the, the wars that they both thrive in. Both Poye and Zhang Weili are fighters that kind of can thrive in those wars we've seen, right? Yeah. Um, is that, like, don't be afraid if they just, you know, like... And again, obviously, Chandler, not uh, Diego Brandao, not Michael Chandler as far as wrestling goes. But we've seen... Uh, I bring up that fight because it sticks up in my head where, you know, when Poye is beating up guys against the fence, if there's an opportunity to just take him down... You know, even if the, he's not trying to get on top and take the back like he did with Chandler, but just to make him get up and beat him up. Like, Poirier loves being the bully when he can. He hates it when, like, guys like Khabib are doing it to him, but yeah. he has his own version of that. So I, I didn't think that was too crazy to call for, yeah? For sure. And with Whaley, um, it might have been, it might have got her in trouble against uh, a different type of wrestler or top game person because. Mm-hmm. She was kind of putting herself in some questionable positions, but the athleticism, yeah, her athleticism gave her a huge uh, cushion here. She was just kind of muscling Carla around in a lot of those exchanges, and at times Carla looked kind of helpless. She even got to the headlock on the ground, and Zhang just powered her way out of it. Like there was no chance for Carla to keep her down there, especially when she She's got to that an insane athlete. Absolutely, especially when she got to that deep shot. And and Ryan, I know you've been there. Uh, anyone who wrestles has it's it, to me it's one of the, my favorite feelings um it's uh where they're deep on your hips and you're almost down and you're still able to kind of post and scoot and break and you know break your legs and hips back from that position yes. still like and she and that that's got to be mentally and at that point physically just exhausting for carla right the fight didn't go on too long but from those exchanges i'm sure carla was wiped out by the time it ended mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and john probably could have done that all night Yep, absolutely. That you know, nothing is more diminishing and spirit breaking almost than a, a failed takedown. You know, um, and so whether you're like heavily rooting for a fighter, I don't know if anyone else does this or any of the gamblers watching out there. How were the this analysis we're talking about intersects? Where like if I'm rooting for a fighter, and sometimes there's those points right where it's like, and it, it could have happened with uh, you know Pereira Adesanya. You know, as far as uh, you know, if Adesanya had the cardio and was used to grappling. Um, he could have used that that bump that he got right from that top position that round and, and parlayed that momentum. Yes. Um, but obviously he's not his, his body's you know his body's not a is not a, a, a accustomed to that. But uh, but yeah, it, it, it is crushing to um, to miss on those takedowns. Uh, Ghost Phantom says, Dan, congrats on the Zhang sub prop. It was inside the distance prop. I didn't take sub, but congrats on anybody who did. It was nicely priced, like plus one thousand or something. Uh, she was actually working on the Reaper guillotine, bridged Gilly from north south with Josh Hinger. Uh, Ghost Phantom, I believe, trains that uh, fight ready as well. So uh, uh, he's a, he, I always appreciate his opinion there. Okay, awesome. All right, I didn't realize that. He says would have been cool to see that hit. Yeah, definitely. That would have that would have been cool. Uh, she's so aggressive. I'm sure we'll we'll get looks of like anything she's working on. She's a fighter where it's like uh, you know, unlike Rose, for example, like. We'll, we'll see it. We'll see it eventually. Yeah. If pass or fail, she'll. She obviously, as as, as the the point you know uh, we're talking about and Ryan brought up now with the wrestling offensively from her, like she's not afraid to uh, do her stuff as well, which is good. I mean, I would argue, you know, it could, like like Ryan said, it could burn you. Like if she had a Damian Maya single leg get up to reverse positions, um, and then establish like a really heavy control. You know, uh, from there, then, then you know, maybe not as good, right? To you know, maybe you just don't even want to uh, engage in there. Um, question from the chat: Jin Karasu says, Dan, what do you think of Whaley's improvements? Is it possible for her to improve more? Uh, yes, of course, everyone can improve more. Or has she reached her peak? No, uh, 
I don't have her age off the top of my head, but she's not old by any means, um, by any metric. Uh, and she's athletically uh, freakish as well, not to like paint uh, broad brushly on that. But um, yeah, I, I imagine she still has plenty of improvements. I, I, I feel like if you ask people like me or Orion or other analysts, we may be, the the question we may be more interested in is she can do a bunch of cool stuff. That's not the that's not the uh, question at this point, right? It, it's it's how is she going to form that? Um, you know, can we see her funnel that into more concise pressure? Uh, you know, uh, fighting for matchups. Can she show to kind of game plan and prepare for specific matchups? I think those are going to be more important questions. Uh, what, what do you think, Ryan? Yeah, for sure. Um, she her wrestling has seemed to improve in recent fights mm -hmm. and the offensive wrestling seems she's definitely like kind of experimented with some different entries from her striking uh different kinds of takedowns she's i think about 10 years into her pro career right now so there's probably a limit on like what exactly she can add now and i think that the big thing with wrestling if she wants to be more of an effective offensive grappler is going to be tying it into her striking mm -hmm. uh, getting into her high percentage takedowns as cleanly as possible and focusing on like maximizing what she can do on top uh, and I don't remember too much about her fight with her last fight with Joanna but I remember her doing a lot of really effective work there on top yeah yeah no she did she definitely showed a, um, improved wrestling she was like shelving against the uh, cage like uh just like finding like real natural um, transition uh, stuff that she didn't necessarily show before, which I, I appreciated. You know, she's usually going for like more outside reap stuff, just showing more options and understanding, especially inside the cage, as as far as uh, getting that knee on the inside and creating kind of natural shelves um, in yeah. those small spaces. So yeah, like small details to like the, tech, the some of the technical finishes. Whereas like earlier in her career, she was more dependent on cage uh, for her actual takedowns and getting them, cage and clinch, or a combination of those. Whereas she's shown like chains, open space, uh, chaining from snatch singles, um, uh, you know. So uh, real, real much more, much more diverse there. Uh, James Kendrick adds in on, on as far as while we're on the Zang before we push on says to her in an interview that she was working with unorthodox submissions with Josh Hinger. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously she was going for that. She went for a one-arm choke, um, which I was kind of surprised she got. But it, it, it is, I, I know some people say that, oh, that's that's BS. That's that doesn't exist, or you know, you're 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 giving it away if you tap to those things or whatever. But we've seen one-arm chokes um, in the UFC for multiple positions. Um, some flyweight so, just hit it, didn't? didn't yeah, they? Dvorak. was it Brandon Royville? Uh, Royville did a one-handed guillotine, and then. Um, Dvorak hit one on on my guy, so I don't want to mention it because it's my as my <laughs> coach there, uh, who's got going to be fighting soon. I think he just got a, another fight announced. Uh, UFC back from injury. Uh, shouts to my guy uh, Juan Camilo Banderas oh, nice. there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like you know, we we've seen you know um, you know uh, technical lightweight divisions. In other words, case in point, right? Uh, flyweights and strawweights, right? Um, it, it even exists down there. So yeah, yeah, uh, we'll see what she can do with that work with Josh. And then uh, James Kendrick said, Shazang. Should Zhang be working on her getup game? I heard that same thing. You heard the same thing too, huh? With Santino, kind of sad that he was kicked out. Again, I don't want to be spreading information here. I'm just citing what I heard and citing it as a kind of speculation. But um, but yeah, um, we'll see. I don't know. There's not a lot 
thankfully for her, there's not a lot of wrestlers that will be testing that anytime soon. Tatiana Suarez, who I love, is no longer in the division, sadly, and I don't know what's going yeah. on with her. I hope she's healthy. But, uh, but yeah. Um, all right, I'm going to push. I know we'll probably, there's probably still um, uh, uh, Zang stuff. Actually, one last one here from uh, Vibrant Zebra 1. Uh, I personally thought that she extended the wrestling exchanges at certain times and got away with a lot because of her strength slash level of opponent. Zhang, that is. Thoughts on that, Ryan? Yeah, I'm on board with that. Yeah. Um, there were certain times where it seemed like disengaging would have been a better tactical idea, but it just kind of didn't matter because she was so much bigger and stronger than Carla. Uh, I was thinking of someone like Tatiana Suarez, where if she was doing that against her, like there were times when uh, Carla just had like an ankle or just on the calf and Zhang was kind of mid limp leg and it wouldn't have been pretty easy to disengage from there but instead she kind of like sat down and tried to get into those crucifix things which it was great it did work and it was really cool to see somebody pull off a choke from crucifix because we see that often as a counter wrestling tactic but I don't mm -hmm. think I've any I've ever seen anybody get a sub from it in the UFC uh, yeah, yeah, that that was tough. Uh, Vibrant Zebra adds, not to interrupt, but just it, it inserts perfectly where, to where you're at. He says, I think the con the contention with the one-arm choke is that is more that Whaley wasn't deploying any kind of strong body control and Esparza didn't fight it correctly, kind of to the point of uh, maybe the perhaps flimsiness or perceived flimsiness of that crucifix position to finish the choke from. Um, I think he's talking about when she was on her back. Like Carla... Uh, I think she kind of caught a kick or something and then kind of got tied up where her arm was passed across oh, yeah, the center line yeah, and tight yep, to her. Yeah. She was kind of like uh, trying to work the back position while Carla was trying to tug it out. Yeah, that was a little bit messy on both of their parts there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like as far as the last thing I'll say, one-arm choke, it's, it's something that I, I really am in love with and haven't been able to get to it because it's just tough to get to. But uh, I, I work specifically with uh, – shout-out to Rich Castro there, one of my jiu-jitsu coaches – but it's off of um, like a, if you're a body triangle, but don't have the body triangle, but you have like one leg across, which is usually a sign someone's going to go for the arm bar from back mount. Uh, and then you use kind of what would be like a, a wrist feed. Um, and you use that to get the free leg to uh, do like a kind of like a BJ pen uh, version, but it's a much more tighter version of that. And if you're able to establish that kind of a control from the back, then you can kind of start working for the one arm. They go to fight the hand, you grab it. You've got the cross wrist control now. And then you can go and kind of clamp if it's gi. Yeah, you like leverage it here. on their shoulder and pull and, it across so you can get so, that squeeze. Yeah, but there's so much checks and balances that have to be there for that in the first place, and 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 um, obviously those weren't um, as as visible uh, or, or sturdy looking from from that position. So yeah, maybe that's the contention on that. Great. I will say that's probably a that. lot harder to pull off cleanly in an MMA fight mm -hmm. than it is in like a submission yes. grappling environment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the only times I've really gotten to it was either gi or no gi, not in um, MMA gloves or MMA environment. That's for dang sure. And that's what I've been in lately. So I, I believe me, I've been trying. <laughs> I've been trying. It's it's <laughs> tough. It's tough. The gloves the gloves make things a lot more different, uh, difficult people, um, than uh, you know than it is. Kyle Max. Sorry to say because I don't like disrespecting fighters, but given how she won the belt and how she fights, Carla was a bad champion. Hopefully. That's her done from the title picture forever. Whoa, throwing oh, You can't see me Carla, right now, but goat. I'm shaking my head in disapproval. The GOAT. He's disrespecting the GOAT. <laughs> after, 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 after a dominant performance over Rose in that rematch, never in doubt, <laughs> Ryan, right? Never in doubt. <laughs> you said it, not me. 
I uh, I love it. You know what? It's gonna be a great episode of Heavy Hands because you're gonna have Kyle go and scorched earth on uh, Carla, and then <laughs> Connor he's still fucking banging her bang, which I'm all about by the way. Keep banging about that Connor. He's still banging about like blaming Rose for for it all, and like she needs to oh, now yeah. fa- face Carolina. Come on, Kevin, she faced her fears. <laughs> she needs to go back and face like 2015 or whatever it was, Carolina Kovalkiewicz. Dude, it was not a good night for facing fears. You know, uh, Izzy was 0-2 against Pajeda. Chandler came into this fight. The reason why I thought he was going to wrestle, we're going to go to that fight now. Michael Chandler lost uh, third-round submission to Dustin Poirier. Um, he said his goal was last two times he was at Madison Square Garden, Ryan, he ended up at the hospital. And I was like, oh, wow. So this was one of the rare times where I was like, Chandler may actually fight smart. Um, and uh, we'll get to Frankie Edgar, who was dropped by head kicks, both in victory and defeat, and both his two uh. prior... Madison Square, well, he did not break that streak, of course. We'll get to that. But, yeah, Poirier and Chandler, you did an excellent piece over there for the Fight Site Patreon. Of course, uh, the fight-site.com. You can find links to their Patreon and subscribe there for some extra content. I'll tell you what, though, even just subscribe to their podcast feed. It's, it's also fantastic. Uh, but my guy, uh, Ryan here, did some um, study with uh, Chandler and some of his relevant matchups. Uh, he had some good Southpaw study in there that we chit-chatted a bit about. Um, what was your thoughts coming into this fight? Did you even have any kind of... Uh, it's hard to have strong feelings about a chaos match like this, but did you have any yep. you know, strong feelings you want to talk about and strong feelings coming away from it? I didn't think too much about it coming in. Uh, just the general sense that Chandler probably had a small window at the beginning to win it. Uh, and if he didn't, Dustin would take over. Chandler, uh, he only really works well in explosive bursts or very clean exchanges. And Poye is not the kind of guy to give you those. He's going to be constantly needling you with throwaway shots, baiting your reactions, uh, countering, uh, and interrupting your rhythm. You're not going to be able to get those, get in, hit him a couple times, get out. It's just not going to happen against Poye. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the thing about Chandler that really made me not worry for him in this matchup, because I wasn't exactly rooting for him, but like right. be hesitant to... Uh, be confident in him or anything is that I thought he probably needed a, a clean like one punch KO to finish Dustin uh, Chandler when he's trying to finish guys I don't know if you've noticed but he he never uses his hands on defense most guys even if they aren't defensively minded when they're in pocket exchanges and things get chaotic they'll cover up a little bit and just just to like take the heat off punches uh, deflect some something in flurries even if they're not seeing everything coming, it still kind of helps you weather some offense and get off your own shots. Chandler keeps his hands uh, like right down when he's following up. So I was thinking that if he hurts Poye and he doesn't dust him immediately, then he's going to get hurt back trying to flurry on him. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think it had to have been a one clean shot too. I know people were pointing pointing in, uh, to those p- perhaps as far as common threads when you look at Poye's pass. But something that jumped out of me was that, you know, Connor or mainly Michael Johnson, too, were um, were southpaws, right, uh, as well. Yeah. Um, which can kind of offer a bit of a different dynamic. And, uh, you know, maybe they're, you know, maybe I'm going to get canceled here. Uh, hopefully you guys see the spirit in this joke. Maybe they're comparing, I'm like, why are they comparing Michael Johnson? I'm like, is it because, you know, 
both Michael Johnson and Michael Chandler are black guys? Like, what's going on? Like, you know, they're... I, I saw uh, where you were going with that one. Sorry, you already knew. You already knew. <laughs> you, you can see my shit-eating grin. You, 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 can head me off, you can head me off at the past, like like a footwork drill. You're just like, okay, I know which way this fucker's going. Uh, sorry, folks. No, no, no. Uh, all, all, all this is Black History Month. No way Chandler loses. Yeah, no way. No way. No way. Uh, obviously, uh, just hilarious, because, like, Chandler always reminds me of, like, uh, Bradley Cooper's character from um, Wedding Crashers, you know, like, uh, <laughs> like, what you, 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 you're gonna kill, uh, you're gonna kill pheasants? Like they're digi- they're they're endangering the indigenous population. All right, <laughs> like he is really violent about something that's supposed to be very peaceful. Like he just really seems like that that Brad sack sack from Wedding Crashers. Crab oh, yeah. cakes and football. That's what Maryland does, baby. You know, in between <laughs> rounds, he's just getting like ridiculously pumped. Um, I obviously have trade history with Michael Chandler, uh, you know. So I, it was funny. Part of me, I picked Poirier, and you know, if anything, I've got a bit of a bias toward Chandler. But I was getting really excited to the point of sorry if I was getting obnoxious. But my analysis and bets have been so bad. I've just been so happy when I, I see stuff that I talk about happen. <laughs> and my pick was basically like Chandler's going to try to wrestle from what we said, right? Um, and but I just think that the the check right hook is too potent, you know. Um, yeah, something I didn't see say in my last podcast, which I was gonna bring up to you. You do a good job in your Patreon showing that how he was actually building in that Benson Henderson fight. But I also guess, and I, I guess it doesn't matter. Um, but like, I, I w- why I got so shaky and my memory was shaken was that I didn't remember Henderson having as much success as he did before he got set up and knocked out. Right? Um, I and felt I guess, the same way. Um, okay. More in the first fight than the second, but in both. I actually, yes. I remembered that being kind of a clear win for Chandler. And going back, I thought it might have been a draw, actually. Yeah, and even his reaction, like, he's going nuts because that's Chandler. But it was almost like he was, like, surprised. Like, oh, my God, did I just do that? Like, because yeah. he, he, he took some shots in there, I think. that I, It's it's hard because Benson Henderson, both, obviously, he no-sell shots that go his way. But his shots kind of have a weird no-sell effect. Like, whether he's winning and, like, wow, he's beating Brandon Thatch and we didn't expect that or whatever. Like, his shots always seem at the same speed. It's always, like, a never higher than yeah. a 6 of 10. <laughs> like, it's just... Just in- an incredible ability to suck any of the, like, I don't like... know, like, dynamism out of a fight. Yeah. Like, he's muting he's muting it so it's not registering much with the judges against him, which is good. But he's not exactly, like, putting a lot out there. Yeah, but when, you, when you actually go back and look, you're like, oh, wow, he was... He was actually doing pretty good there, yeah. um, and and again, it, not 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 a atrocious thing. Again, I didn't bet. If anything was, you know, part of me was hoping I was wrong, but uh, you know, you could have argued that you know maybe the the, the check right hook stoppage uh, did happen in round one, right? Um, but you know, I know Chandler goes back and wins round two, and that's always the argument for these things, right? Whatever, even when there's a really bad, like atrocious fight where it should have been stopped, they're always like, yeah, but Brian Ortega uh, may have landed like two punches on Bokanovsky in, in round five. <laughs> you know, like he was stopped three times in round three. I don't care was, what happened in round great. five. You know, like so I hate that argument, but like so I'm not trying to like die on a hill here, but you know it, it was definitely it was pretty did seem like if it went a couple seconds longer yes. that that was imminent. Chandler gets into a lot of those situations too, though. He'll be like he'll end around with his arms just hanging at his hips, looking like he can't possibly go on, and then in the next round he'll just knock the guy down. Yep. Oh, by the way, Dan Albert in the chat. Dan Albert and Hacks. I've already put Hacks on the screen, by the way. What up, Hacks? Dan Albert says, uh, anyways, congratulations to Alex uh, Pajeda for defeating Hentai. 
<laughs> which is, you know, which we is... don't have to listen to a middleweight champion talking about his dog's genitals. <laughs> which is great. Yep. Yeah, I know. Oh my gosh, I love Dan. I have my favorite analysts in here. Um, Hax uh, brought something up here while we were talking about about Chandler. Hax uh, arises. Chandler relies on the absolute threat of his offense to stop stop you swinging back. To which Dustin eats it, licks his lips, and thinks, "Damn, can't guillotine that. Guess I have to throw back <laughs> instead." <laughs> that is, that is, yep, yeah, that is, uh, ch- ch- yeah, that that is that is Chandler's uh, mo, and uh, you really felt that when he started spamming body kicks. Speaking of Benson Henderson, he like he like he thought he was Benson Henderson in the Anthony Pettis rematch, right? Or Anthony Pettis, I should yep. say, in the Benson Henderson rematch, when it was Anthony Pen- Pettis spams the open side body yes. kicks on the southpaw and i was like oh wow he's going anthony pettis on him uh yeah, that was and, a good moment those were working yeah uh, he kept those up too and play adjusted uh extended the distance a little bit and started parrying them and chandler wasn't really able to adjust himself and start connecting them to his punches i feel like there was like maybe he had so much success early because he was getting in really easily and landing his right hand that he kind of Chandler often does that anyway, but I feel like he was neglecting his setups a little bit more in this fight, because uh, he had quite a bit of success just kind of running in and hitting Poye at the beginning. Uh, so he didn't really worry too much about like punching off of his kicks or combining those, mm-hmm. and instead just kind of tried to storm him, and it worked well early. He was getting to him consistently, he was backing Poye up. Poye wasn't landing too many counters consistently in the first couple minutes and then he got hurt when he was swarming and stuff kind of snowballed from there Poye started landing those little offbeat counters more and just picking at him and the exchanges got messier Mm -hmm. Chandler wasn't he didn't have the speed and explosion that he did before and was kind of slowly dragged into Poye's fight yeah, absolutely, and the scrambles were kind of uh, kind of apparent to the way it was going. Obviously, Chandler has a strong round two, right? Uh, is able to get a lot of control, and we've seen that just yeah. as recently as Poye's last fight in round two with Oliveira. And I don't know if it's Chandler doesn't get enough credit for his back take ability and or his ground and pound. Uh, and I say that because that's mainly like if it's shaded anybody, it's shaded Chandler himself because like it's just like why don't you do that more? Like you know, going back to. Um, Eddie Alvarez too or whatever it was like he made that fight way harder he, he wanted to face block to win it so badly when he could have just ground and pounded and you know did the Tim yeah. Bosch to Matt Hamill uh, or Matt Hamill to Tim Bosch move around the neck the uh, the choke as Rogan used to call it back in the day but like yeah. you know but I don't know if that's iterations to where like you know he doesn't work with uh, our shared coach Neil Melanson so you know coincidentally we don't see as much uh, of that even though he tried to dust it out for this uh, this fight uh, or when we shared the same boxing coach, Gil Martinez, who was the guy to teach me to roll under my crosses. Like, you saw Chandler do that um, in order to get to that first Eddie Alvarez fight, beating Patricky and Eddie the first time. And again, like I just said, by the time he fights Eddie the second time, he's with a different coach. He's in San Diego, and he's just face-blocking stuff. He's not rolling yeah. under anything, which is why I picked Gaethje to knock him out with a hook, a left hook, obviously, for Gaethje. And which didn't happen. Uh, Gaethje obviously found the uppercuts for the dips, which was great adjustment. But um, it was just it was the it was the it was what was being called for on uh, on this one for me. And then after seeing like I, I shared with you, Ryan, seeing Tony Ferguson light him up when I went back to rewatch that, um, I was like, ooh, I think I rewatched that ahead of the Nate fight for uh, Tony, and I just page marked it. I'm like, I'm gonna page note this for for Chandler's fight with Poirier because um, 
that's not good if this is what he's doing against southpaws right now or getting hit with. Yeah, Tony was nailing him on exits. Uh, he was making it difficult with his light uh, lead hand and stuff like that for Chandler to get in on his own offense. And when he heard him, uh, when he swarmed against the fence, Chandler, again, didn't really have much of a response for that besides punching back. And against a guy like Dustin, that's not the response you want. Yep, yep. Haxorai says, Izzy's knowledge of all things weeb is more surface level than your joke about pop culture knowledge, Dan. <laughs> that makes me feel a little better. <laughs> um, let me see. Uh, all right, I'm going to keep pushing down here. Thank you guys for being in the chat. I am I am going to laugh too hard at Dan Albert and uh, Haxorai's uh, <laughs> comments if I'm not careful. Uh, but the next fight was... Uh, um, <clears throat> Uh, speaking of Phil McKenzie, we brought up uh, the Glue Factory, right? This is the annual trip to the Glue Factory, which <laughs> I know, like someone was saying, my guy, uh, shout out to True UK fan, like for us who've been watching sport forever, the last 10 years have been brutal, right? You know, you had like five years of BJ Penn, like putting us through just what he put us through inside of the octagon, not even getting into the lava shack shit. <laughs> but like, you know, but like 2022 in particular, like I was talking about this, like just recently we had like... You know, Glover loss, Dubronx loss, you know, as far as, like, the Brazilians, you know, the Brazilian vets that are, you yeah. know, they're, they're, they're used to pl plop other people in North American promotions. They fly them into, you know, ACA or ACAV there, uh, there Ryan. <laughs> you know, they're always getting the short end of the stick, so I love seeing that, but they got knocked down. Anderson Silva gets, you know, beat by Privileged Paul. We had uh, Andre Arlovsky <laughs> getting submitted by the guy who literally is known for dubbing, like, like jumping into submissions any chance he got. Like, that is the guy that is now submitting Andre Arlovsky, you know, Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Like, it's it been a pretty not sad been a run. a great time for vets. Yeah, man, it's been. I mean, Glue Factory's kicking butt. Uh, Phil McKenzie's profiting over there across the pond. But, yeah, it's it's been rough, man. Did you have – did you expect this, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, to some extent? Um, if we're talking about Frankie Edgar, that's been a long, slow conveyor belt. It, it's taken a <laughs> It's been heading there for a while. Um, I'm not super familiar with Chris Gutierrez, but yeah, I, I wasn't expecting Frankie Edgar to beat someone who has won a lot in the UFC at this point, to be honest. Um, it's sad to see, and the, the thing that makes me the most sad about this fight is that just before it happened, when they were doing the introductions, Bruce Buffer announced this specifically as Frankie Edgar's mm -hmm. last fight. And I don't know if I've ever seen a sure sign that it's not going to be his final fight. Mm. And but by the way, I, I uh, it felt really off. Like Bruce, you can kind of forget about Bruce being Bruce because it's just like Goldberg, where it turns into the Charlie Brown thing after a while. You just like want, 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 want. You just zone it out, right? But like yeah. that completely was a different cadence, right? Like. Like I know everybody now because Bruce does his like cameos and like pays for things. So like you hear like, like you just hear his voice like. Eh. I'm surprised he didn't sell his own thyme <laughs> like thyme like T H Y M E like it's thyme like he seems like a guy who markets everything you know like, like uh and like and 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 he really took liberty there you know he really went into like Bruce marketing mode like like you know like when DC and Rogan go into podcast mode like. I was worried yeah. Bruce was going to keep, like, ad-libbing and go, and if you'd like a cameo, <laughs> like, like, stop, Bruce. No, no, just get on with it, please. Bro, we're all watching this through finger glasses. What are you yeah, doing? Stop it. Don't make us aware, more aware of and draw it out more. I actually picked Edgar here and even took a, took a shot on him um, at the odds. I just thought that maybe, you know, maybe he could get, you know, do what Edgar took, took a hell of a shot himself. 
He did. Oh, he did. Yeah. That, and that was the thing. It was either going to be a knee or a kick from the left side, right? You know, or a, a, a knee that was meant as a kick or, or some of the one of those combinations. That's what it was always going to be, wasn't it? It's been three straight knee front kick and Sandhagen's flying knee. It was the yeah. uppercut. Like, that's what I used to do when I was breaking down Frankie fights. I'd look at the other guy's uppercut. Like, that was always the first thing. But everybody figured out the front kick and the knees. And yeah, the, the lightweights knew tools. that, like, he would duck onto upward up upward arcing yes. strikes. But for some reason, they never thought of kneeing him. If only they'd known all this time. Yeah, and even the front kick seems like something Benson Henderson would want to do, you know? That would be a weird strike for him. Like, why would yeah. you do that? I mean, And don't get me wrong, he still edged it out or whatever. But, like, yeah, it was always, like, wacky. Um, circular or the uppercuts for the smart ones, but yeah, that was that was rough to see. And apparently, it was rough scenes with uh, his kids front row. Oh and no! John, John Anik said uh, he he's traumatized for them because they're probably going to be forever traumatized uh, with what they saw. And there was just some other kid recently that this happened. I forget another glue factory fight, and like the kid was <laughs> crying, and they had to like bring him in the back, like crying like hysterically. I'm like, oh, oh god, that's great! I'll never forget the photo of Mark Coleman. Uh, after Fedor beat him up in Pride, the picture of him hugging his crying girls with that huge oh, hematoma yeah. on his head. That one, yep, yep. Daddy's okay. Daddy's okay. And that's when, like, Mark. And that was like when Mark Coleman like didn't show his any of his soft side at that point. You know? Yeah. Like, so there wasn't. The, I don't even think like the uh, even maybe, unless maybe Smashing Machine was out. You know, maybe that. But like that would be the only glimpse. Like, so to see a hard man like that, like, oh man, and then. I got scared. It didn't happen. I think it was like Jason Gonzalez or one of these things. Um, it was Jim Miller. It was like one of the fights back in Florida where it was still empty pandemic because he was like in the prelims. And the camera goes and it's like his family and all of his kids there front row. And there's like no one around him, which makes it even creepier and more like vulnerable. And I'm just like, Jim, not because I love you. You're my favorite, and I bet on you. But just please don't lose right now. This is, you because you, you just saw the perfect setup. Like you just saw the MMA gods do that meme of the of the, the black dude in the yellow suit peeking behind the tree. Like, ooh, I know what time it is. <laughs> whoa, you know, whoa, whoa. black dude in the yellow suit. That's bunk. Bunk, yeah, wire. bunk from the wire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bunk from the wire. How dare me? Of, 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 of a, a wire, a wire centric podcast. Here, I always use the wire gifs. <laughs> but yeah, we we know how that's how the MMA gods be, right? Like anytime there's a, there's, a, there's a chance to like, oh yeah, you know they're like they're like like oh wait paraplegic parade. Here's a banana peel because like <laughs> like that that is the MMA gods. Like they are terrible. <laughs> I'm sorry, they're they're awful, right? We know this. I'm not. It truly, is a Murphy's Law sport. It is. It is very bad. It is very bad. Um, all right, uh, we're gonna push through the rest here because uh, you know. Um, and any last thoughts on that? Uh, on that before we push push through, push through. Yeah, nothing fast. about the fight itself, but I hope this is the end for Edgar. Uh, mm. There's nothing left to prove, and probably nothing left to give at this point. And he's had just an incredible career. Very few fighters have been as influential as him, both in the cage and out. Uh, one of the greatest careers of all time and it's just incredible he was able to accomplish always sad to see a legend go out like that but it is always nice to see them go out yeah it is and it's but but man these interviews are killer the last thing i'll say about this is like i don't know what was worse where it's like you're interviewing the knocked out fighter and he's having a breakdown oh God, yeah and rogan like they cuts him, him off like do you want to cut... talk like, fuck man and then what he, are you doing and then part of me is like if but if you are going to interview him, don't rudely cut him off because it felt like they. Were, I know he was about to maybe probably break down there, granted, but it just felt like a really abrupt cutoff. And then you got like Gutierrez over there, which by the way, shout out to Mark Montoya. What an awesome coach to be doing that through cancer. Wishing him and his family nothing but the best. 
um, you know, and Gutierrez. I know he's got his own family struggle, so nothing but lo- nothing but love. Wishing these people the best. But it's just so funny that we're gonna get to the point, Ryan, where it's just like you know they're they're having a breakdown and they're crying they're like this. You know, this person's dying. This person's got cancer. This is this person's last <laughs> fight. This person's still unconscious on the canvas. But I just want to say shout out to Skinny Best because he'll get you paid. Like, there's just so much going on in these post fights now. Like, I can't, I can't take it. Like, I can't take it. Like, this is too much. Shout yeah. out to that one time Anik was like, both these guys dealing with custody battles, by the way. Oh, yeah. It was a good Harris fight. That was great. That was up there with the... Oh, that the, was the, the 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 uh she was still actively breastfeeding this camp and that awkward silence like oh jeez no <laughs> I uh by the way and, and uh I wanted to shout this out like two twenty podcasts ago but I forget which fight it was um oh yeah it, it was it was you you probably know this fight because it's uh the Brad Riddell and um Brad Riddell versus uh, Rafa, uh Rafael Fazeev. And um, yep. they're, 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 they're laying out, like, in the first round, they're like, you know, I'm laying out, like, and when Riddell, uh, Riddell stopped t- coaching a Tiger Muay Thai, it was Fazeev who took the job, you know? And it was like they're doing that basic <laughs> layout, and then Bisping just goes into, like, typical, like, like fighter, like, you know, back, you know, with, with his dick out days, you know, not, you know, uh, just he goes in and go, hey, got the leftovers, huh? And we're like, we're talking about a coaching job here, Bisping, we're not talking about... Conquest of women or whatever the fuck is going on in your head right now while we're watching this sloppy fight? coaching seconds. He's just like he just has the guy. He's got his like he's like he's got his dick out at the bar. Like you're calling a fight right now, Miss <laughs> Bingley. It was just this awkward silence. If anybody goes back to watch that fight, please tell me you've giggled at that. It's just it's hilarious <laughs> because you could you could just see the other commentator's face going like, "All right, that's left that left field. All right, we're going there." I mean, it was a coaching job. I, I don't know if they put their penis in the same place, but okay. <laughs> I mean, coaching job. I'm I'm sure there's oh, no, a lot of that going around. Oh jeez, that it. You know what? I <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. As soon as I said it, yeah, I just yeah, I I knew. Uh, Dan Hooker, Hooker, uh, defeated Claudio Poyes, um, aka uh, Mexican guy that Feno likes, right? Ryan, as you put it. Or <laughs> shout out to my guy Feno, by the way. Is but. that the one? I, no, I it was it was Gutierrez. It was Gutierrez. Probably Pues. It's just he, he was just a guy who was who was not Mexican. So I was looking to make that ignorant joke where we, uh, we it, it, Ryan opened the door. Blame him. Uh, and I love Feno, by the way. <laughs> uh, him and Dan Albert. That's why I miss Dan Albert doing his um, preview shows because him and Feno, uh, Feno still did a solo one on the on the Fight Site podcast. Another reason why you guys can subscribe to their feed, uh, free feed you're still going to get uh, all that goodies uh, there but shout out to Feno. Um so this is where I'll be kind of cruel though man because sometimes you just like you're like isn't my bias you know because we all have our biases right Ryan I know you have your biases for fighters you like and fighters you dislike and I'm like is Poya as a guy that I just dislike and I can't get over it like I just don't like his style because he's a, he's not even super athletic but he's an op- he's an opportunist and my bias, if I'm being honest, you know, everybody knows. I call myself out all the time. I love old uh, – phrasing, I love old dudes. Wow. Uh, I love old veterans. <laughs> wow, easy, Dan, even there. Old veterans uh, – veteran southpaws, obviously. No, no, old veterans and, like, um, process-based fighters, regardless of your age, over the athletic opportunist or the hyped product. And at least within the MMA gambling circle, Ryan, there's these guys that they just get around and like to hype, and usually it's because they're young – Athletic and have been lucky enough to like get glue factory esque matchmaking. You know what I'm talking about, right? Absolutely. And, and it kind of makes from odds. Is Poyas one of the guys that the gamblers like? 
That would surprise me. Yeah, and not even just in general. Um, and I've been burned, you know. And, and, and that's what I always hate, where it's just like, again, it's just like, uh, what are you going to say? You're saying Poyez didn't deserve his win over Philippe Silva? He earned it. He got his, he got his, he got his ass beat for three rounds. You know, it's weird how you say it. It's like, I don't want to say he doesn't deserve the win, but like you know exactly what I mean, Ryan, and other analysts out he there. He went in there knowing exactly what he needed to do, and that was get, his, get the shit kicked out of him for 10 minutes and then ass pull some knee bar off the bottom. You hate to see bad approaches rewarded, I think is a better way to word what I'm trying to say, right? I get exactly what you're trying to say. Yeah. And it's absolutely true that we all have our biases and that favoring a process-based approach makes a lot of logical sense, but you're also going to be wrong sometimes mm -hmm. when somebody just dynamisms their way into winning a fight. But I'm going to tell you something that mm -hmm. will serve you well for your MMA pundit career. Right. It is always okay to discriminate against people whose primary method of victory is light locks. It, it just always is. It's okay to make fun of them. It's okay to be biased against them. You are right. They are wrong. You know what, especially when we can get, like, you know, as close as I'm going to get, it's not as good, Ryan, it's not as good, but as close as I'm going to get to reliving Alan Belcher and Husamar Pagliarez again, right? I mean, like, he went If you're an insane athletic freak that just <laughs> does nothing but heel hook people, ingest acai all day and <laughs> everything, that's fine. Th those guys are great. I love them. Claudio Poyez is not that. Oh my goodness, that is great. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, no, he is not that at all. And and yeah, and that was the thing with me. So like, I got burned. I think I tried to fade him against um, Hoggle from uh, Labyrinth, aka Chris Gritzmacher. Uh, <laughs> kick my ass! He's like, oh Hoggle, huh, bitch? <laughs> like I'm just saying, if I was if I, if I if I needed help getting past David Bowie, I'd call you, bro. Um, <laughs> especially with David Bowie with that camel toe that left nothing to the imagination. I mean, a young Danton was traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, neither here nor neither here nor there. <laughs> By the way, speaking of that, that uh, shout out to the MMA analysis. They 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 they, they break down fights. Uh, Ryan, that this is a podcast. They break down fights and they heavily do it through hog analysis. Oh, lovely. That's we appreciate some good hog analysis over here. Did they ever have anything to say about um, Will Camposano? Will Camposano, notorious boner guy. Notorious. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! I gotta go go dig back to the junkie weigh-in photo uh, forums for some Will Camposano. Uh, but yeah, that's actually ringing some bells there. Um, but uh, but 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 yeah, um, but yeah, Hooker was uh, uh, Poyas was a guy that I've been on the wrong side of, so I was kind of nervous. I had like PTSD because it's like, is it something I'm missing? You know, is it my bias here? Should I just take a clue? But to your point, where you go better is like this guy. Well, he opened. I think Dan Hooker opened at a minus two hundred favorite, which he looked like. A minus 400. That's surprising. Right? Yeah. Even that's surprising. He got bet down, which is which is a lot for these, you know, um, not as popular fights and for MMA, but like 60 cents or so. So he got bet down to like minus 140. I got him at minus 139. Wow. So that's that, astonishing. Like, Maybe it was, it was more, was it more of like a hooker might be shot thing? Again, there's a, there, there is this dynamic, which makes me go the other way even more, right? Because I'm such a freaking contrarian, Ryan. Um, where everybody, and it's not everybody, by the way. There's plenty of people that were on Hooker this week. A lot of enemy gamblers were, and shouts to you guys. So I'm not talking in generalities. Don't get, don't get, don't get hurt uh, or mad at me. You guys know I got love for you. But there is this thing that many of you guys, MMA gamblers, y'all know whether you're guilty on it or not. It's something that exists where they love fading. They they hate old people. Like I'm trying to think of who yep. hates old people the most, but like. Just they MMA gamblers will hate them more. I guarantee you think of whatever you want, Ryan. And they salivate, especially when it's like somebody who's like does flashy things like spinny kicks 
or like leg locks or something like sexy, you know? They're just like, whoa! You know, it's that, I, I call it the, <laughs> the jingle jangle effect. The reason why those toys are effective throughout time, right? As technology grows, why the jingle jangle gets the baby is because that's what gets all of us back to our body work and headshot conversation we just had, right? Right uh, at the top of the show, right, right, Ryan? It's what, yeah, for sure. what the, it, that's human nature. It's not, I'm not trying to like call everybody out. I, you know, I'm just as susceptible to every one of you uh, to it. Uh, it's because it's human nature. And I think that's what that comes down to. But yeah, I, I'm glad I pulled the trigger. Um, I, I played hooker by sub because I thought he was going to left hook him and then guillotine him, which almost did happen. He had the... But, yeah, it did. It was close. But he smartly wasn't trying to like sell out for that or anything, obviously. He was trying to keep it standing and make Poya stand back up. And as Anthony Smith put it, he said, uh, Anthony Smith said in the post-fight show, I try to call a ball a ball, and uh, that might be the most... Worstly ill-prepared fighter I've ever seen on the stage fight. <laughs> so yeah, he can't call me a hater when a fighter's saying that. So he thought his own path to victory was diving for leg locks, yeah. and like it's one thing if you have an actual process behind setting them up. Even then, it's not good. Like you're not mm-hmm. going to be consistently elite or beat upper mid-level fighters using leg locks. But somebody like Ryan Hall, he'll he'll set them up with his kicks. He'll do all that uh, like leg kicks into shifting mm-hmm. to set up his. Minari rolls and everything like that. Poyas didn't have. Like I don't know how he thought he was gonna win this fight. Yeah, it's bad, especially when 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 uh, Hook Hooker already showed you know in, in his first fight against Ian Entwistle where he TKO'd a guy trying to leg lock him. That was his game. Yeah, right? and, and Whistle, it was like I remember that he took like yeah. he was just beating on him for like two minutes or something, and Entwistle just wouldn't give up the leg lock because he had like, the inside he heel hook position. Disengaged. He thought yeah. he had it, and he's like, no. Hooker wasn't like him. keeping him there or anything. Well, because he's he just like he's long and he does one of my favorite things. Now, it almost got him into trouble here. Ryan and the commentary was going, "Oh no!" But I, I personally love it. I don't know about you guys or anybody in the chat. I apologize. I I haven't been able to to, to to get to it as much as I like. And there's some really good stuff in the chat right now with uh, my guy Hacks and Dan Albert and Ghost Phantom in there who has some uh, some good questions as always as well. Um, some new names as well, but um, I, I like when people uh, pressure in because that's what I do. I stack yep. in and try to turn it into a back take where you feed the leg too deep for them to get proper crank leverage, and a lot of the times it forces a scramble. Mm-hmm. And essentially, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to grab up by behind their head, or depending if they're like kind of belly down knee barring, I'm kind of grabbing here around their shoulder and neck area, and I'm trying to leverage myself up to them. To use, and he did that, came in yeah. and like got the underhook in the head and arm. Yep, use it to get top position, use it to pressure and kind of smash your way out, which he was eventually, yep, sma- he was able to smash his leg out. And just in general, um, a lot of these, like from Guida, it was started from a half-guard transition, right? Because there's a lot of half-guard sweeps, like Wellington Terman was going for some deep half stuff earlier uh, in the night and whatnot. And, and a lot of times to kill that momentum... It sounds really brutish, but again, grapplers and Ryan, you can weigh in. But a lot of times what I'll do is I'll just grab, I'll reach out and I'll grab their head like this. You know, I'll, it'll be opposite because I'm reaching like that. But it essentially looks like I'm just kind of slapping their head. Because once they're under you, whether they're going for a try to finish a triangle or more of a debasing sweep, which is probably going to be a 50-50 type one leg in, one leg out, half guard, deep, half variation where they're getting under you and debasing you to kill that momentum. It's hard once they're kind of already under you, but... Their head, the the top of their from their hips to their head is going to have to swing a certain way to finish their momentum on whatever tack or sweep they're attempting. So if yeah. you simply brutishly, even just slap, even just grappling without strikes, you can just slap them in the face, kind of, and just not slap them, but like hold hold a post there, like slap and like hold, 
and uh, they, they will uh, they will essentially you know it'll stop their momentum. It'll kill that momentum of you getting swept. Um, so it's the same principle here as far as leveraging toward their head or neck area to kill that momentum for the leg lock. If that made any sense. Absolutely. Damian Maya's whole thing on top while he was passing, like his legs would do the passing work and his arms would just be there to post just mm -hmm. to block you from moving. You, you yep. He moves his legs one way and you go to adjust and you try to swing your hips and oh, his arm is just there so I can't move my head. And like you said, if you pressuring into them, especially in MMA, uh, not only does it leave you in a better position, it kills their posture and prevents them from uh, like getting the space and leverage they need to make an attack. Uh, but especially in MMA, you can use that position for ground and pound. Whereas if you go the other way and try to back out and create space, you're letting them attack your legs. Uh, you're giving them space to take your back, and that's probably the uh, like the best use for leg locks in MMA. It isn't to finish the leg lock. It's as a sweep to stand up to get guys turning their backs or turning away, so you can come up on a single leg or come up to the back or just get off the bottom. And pushing in like Hooker did avoids that. Yep, absolutely. Uh, this matchup, we we may actually might have uh, uh, probably be one to have a decent amount, maybe amount to say, but then we can push the rest really fast, speed chess. But Hanato Moikano defeated Brad Radell High Radell. My initial thing on the podcast, I was like, oh, I'm leaning toward Moikano. I haven't got to this. Um, it feels like a close fight, though. I probably wouldn't bet anything unless it's submission for Moikano. And uh, I was like, maybe it's because I, I you know, uh, was one of the few who called the submission for Jalen Turner over Riddell because he can't help himself but shoot and give give his neck or back. When he was yeah. a turtle, you don't just give your back, you also give your neck for front headlock chokes for the Turner example. I was like, I don't want to go to the well, you know, where it's like, oh, the, <laughs> the read is too good to be true. MMA is not consistent, right? There's no such thing as consistent <laughs> reads. So I ended up steering away after watching some tape. Like, I talked my – maybe because – you know, uh, Moicano wants money and Moicano fucks or whatever. Like his, whatever. They need, we need a Moicano fuck shirt, by the way. That's what. He, that's all I hear in these post-fight interviews. Did he say that? I barely heard anything, but I could definitely see that. He's Moicano wants money, and he just has all this like, crazy like Joe Rogan. You're the best. I listen to you every day. You're the smartest. And I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. And like, maybe I got swayed because I was like looking at Brad Riddell, and he's like, self, self, you know, self introspection, fighting depression, mental health, being a good dude. <laughs> and again, back to your biases, I'm like, hmm, maybe Brad Riddell can shit. win. Ricardo maybe needs money, big stakes. Maybe he can win. Yeah, exactly, baby. Big, big stakes and big beers. Which I, I am yep. not hating Moicano, by the way. Not hating. I respect that. But yeah, Brad Riddell may be too nice. But is it? Does it blow you away that Moicano older than Brad Riddell? By, by two or three years? You know, I think the only reason that's particularly surprising is the hairline. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Brad, Brad Riddell's got an unkind hairline, and uh, he definitely was built to fight, though. I mean, he's got just that, like, it looks like my, like, one of the old wrestling coaches in high school where they have, like, that, you know, just that, like, forehead where they look like they're built to take shots. Like You look like... at his forehead, and you can tell he probably has cauliflower ear. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to get. I'm gonna stop there before I get into like, uh, you know, uh, phrenology ter ter territory or anything like that. No we are reason. not. We are not getting. And I'm I am, sorry, I am, Brad. We love you. I know, and I'm a Brad Riddell fan. Like I, I, I used to like joking, and this is probably why I get a lot of shit. Like, I, you know, uh, I used to like jokingly kind of ch 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 chat. And I like Izzy. I like Dan Hooker. I like city kickboxing. But I used to be like Brad Riddell, clearly, clearly, clearly the best city kickboxer fighter. Um, and he's a, according to his profile, he's a bang, bang, town, Muay Thai guy now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, th this was, uh, 
this was this was this was tough. Um, I'll just throw it to you because you can explain it much better to me. What 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 what's happened with Brad Riddell? It seemed like he was trying to navigate, which was a hard style, a countering back foot style, never easy, uh, as it as it never was, even when he won. But what uh, what are we seeing, and what what can we expect from Riddell? You think, Ryan? Moicano looked really good here. It did a lot of things to dissuade mm-hmm. um, like Riddell's primary offense. Within like 45 seconds or so of the fight starting, he hit him with a pretty clean lead knee, uh, which was really nice because a lot of Riddell's offense, especially against uh, taller, longer guys, comes off the level change with body shots. And right away, Moicano kind of shut that down. His jab mm-hmm. was yeah. also really nice to bait out Riddell's counters and punish them. Uh, but with Riddell particularly, I haven't watched a ton of his kickboxing matches, but from what I remember, he was kind of not necessarily a standard Dutch kickboxer where they would like stand in the pocket with a high guard. I'm doing that. I'm holding my hands in front of my head now, like a right. Dutch kickboxer. You can't see that. But he was always kind of, his defensive system was a little bit different, but his offense was kind of similar to that. He would kind of, he was an exchange heavy guy. He would look to stand in front of you, use like throwaways to draw up your guard and then pound you around the guard. Good at setting up his offense, but not super deep in terms of boxing skill. Uh, and a lot of the things that he didn't need in kickboxing are coming back to hurt him in MMA. He, to my eye, he doesn't really have skills to control when and where exchanges happen. He's very good in exchanges, but he kind of lets the opponent set the tone for how they're going to happen. Um, with a lot of the other city kickboxing guys, Adesanya and Volkanovski, they want exchanges to happen on their terms, especially Volkanovski. He's amazing at angling off to enter his own exchanges so he's not creating 50-50 exchanges he's creating 70-30 exchanges where he's in better position to hit you than you are him mm-hmm. or if you try to do that if you try to like take an outside angle to shorten the path of your right hand he'll kick you in the leg and circle out just deny the opportunity to have that exchange and then go back and set his own preferable exchange up Riddell just kind of accepts them uh, he doesn't tend to enter on angles like that he it's not good at nullifying opponents' exchanges. Rather, he'll just accept them for the most part. In the Dover fight, they were both constantly colliding and forcing exchanges. And whenever one of them wanted to exchange, the other guy would oblige. Um, mm-hmm. His ring craft is an issue as well. He's He finds himself backing up to the cage a lot. Yeah. Uh, and he's not very active in either circling out before he gets to the cage or employing tactics to get himself off the cage, like changing direction or fainting to get a guy leaning over a hip and then pivoting out. Uh, so he's kind of just, he's almost too game. Like He's down to, to fight and exchange whenever that takes place. And he's very good in the exchanges, but when he's fighting guys like Moicano, who are really long and have an excellent jab and will bait out that offense, trick him into thinking they're about to bang, uh, and then pull away from his offense and land something else he kind of lacks the skill set to respond super effectively to that i think yeah and i always want to be careful about like projecting on someone to say oh you just need a a clinch or a clutch mechanism right because it's so easy to prescribe from the outside and kind of like with alex potato like i was trying to remind people like you know i'm not a specialist on kickboxing or, or him but i really did a deep dive as best i could and one of the things I said was that, like, it wasn't a mainstay of his game. And, and you know, particularly with Izzy, um, you know, Izzy was usually uh, outframing or outpositioning him in the majority of their very brief tie-ups, which are limited rules, depending on where they're fighting and, and so on and so forth. And with uh, Riddell's kickboxing, I didn't see a lot of clinch stuff when I would go back to watch it. Again, I didn't do uh, yeah. 
that deep of a dive. So again, I don't want to like, you know, all of a sudden just tell someone who's an outfighter to be like, you got to just pressure or like just go completely yep. against your instinct, right? Because can't, you can't just prescribe all. Um, but I do feel like if you are going to be some kind of a counter or stymie or like you do need that. And again, Leon Edwards has a lot of other attributes to facilitate this as well as like biological things like his frame, right? Like, but like more clinch savvy um, stymieing and stalling uh, as, you know, as far as that goes, which he does have. But he's just so eager to both shoot and, you know, give away those positions, those turtle and 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 and, and uh, TP positions when he's like scrambling. It's just makes it makes him potent for these ty- these style of submission threats. Yeah, and in this fight, Moicano was really good at doing the punching punching clutch thing too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Riddell would try to attack, and they would come together, and Moicano would immediately try to capitalize with underhooks. To be fair to Riddell, though, he. I think he's had some tough matchups recently, and I think sure. his style kind of translates to MMA a little bit better than his recent run has shown. Like, he got Moicano, Jalen Turner, and Faziev, like, three of the worst yeah. people you could possibly get for, uh, like, a pocket boxer who doesn't have the nullifying skill set and relies on, a lot on level changes. Uh, like, really brutal matchups for that kind of style. Uh, and I think that if he got some more, uh, maybe, like, pressure fighters uh, or guys who aren't like really long and very good at attacking level changes or even just grapplers because he's quite a good anti-wrestler I think then he could maybe shine but yeah he's had a rough run recently yeah he has um, hopefully they match him up kindly uh, I'm sure Moikana will be matched up kindly in a way that benefits everybody uh, well, you know, except for you know the actual pay, of course, but neither, neither here nor there, I guess. But you know, as far as like uh, stylistically, I'm sure they'll take good care of him. Uh, before we knock out the rest of this card, James Kendrick says, "Crazy idea here. Let's have Whaley give Carla the rematch. Good, bad, terrible idea. I think Kyle Mack would say that's a great idea. Uh, you can use Carla as a warm up for her next defense. Jesus, poor Carla. Just she's just like, like oh my gosh, just like." I just picture like that, that cricket character, and it's all a sunny from Philadelphia when they do the pro wrestling episode. <laughs> like they just, <laughs> just gets screwed up by the trash man and Danny DeVito. Yeah, anyways, um, Ryan Spann defeated Dominic Reyes. Oh boy, man! Again, uh, how the mighty have fallen. Uh, again, Glover's Garage. This was a, a not good, good, good match for them. And uh, former late heavyweight champ. Man. Yeah, former late heavyweight champ beat John Jones. Uh, Dominic Reyes. That's crazy, man. Um, it just went. It was talking about his defense, and then just went in, and I don't know if he punched or punched to kick in 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 clear punching range, and just ate a ate a straight shot, ran ran right onto it. Any thoughts on this one? I didn't see the fight. I just saw the clip of the knockout on Twitter, and yeah, man, it's been a rough run for Reyes. I think he left his gym after the Jones fight, yeah. and that's where stuff seemed to go downhill from him. Yeah. In hindsight. We didn't really have a lot of data on him coming up. Like, he only really had a couple fights against good competition. Mm-hmm. And what I remember of him from watching his fights before the Jones fight is that he was kind of he kind of had a narrow, effective skill set. Mm-hmm. He was he would throw kicks on the outside, and they were all right, but they weren't really deep. And they're something that most solid strikers should be able to adjust to. And he had a good he was good at like angling out and landing the rear hand counter, but he doesn't really do a lot to enforce his game or to like create the situations that most lend themselves to his best work. He's not really drawing out the kind of offense he likes to counter. 
his footwork patterns don't really encourage guys to throw in ways that he wants to counter. And in this fight, or at least in the clip of the knockout, it seemed like he was trying to do more work on the lead than he usually does. And like, he's usually pretty reserved on the lead. He'll kind of, he'll mostly circle off to the open side and let guys come to him. Uh, or when he does, he'll kind of like jab in with a non-committal jab and set up his offense. Here, he just kind of darted in and Span caught him. He timed it well. I, I guess the main thing I think with Ray's is that he has a problem kind of making his game coherent. That I'm not really sure he has a great consistent way to get to his most effective offense. And either guys have kind of worked that out or he, he's gotten more predictable, but something bad is going on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's almost like the analogy for me is like he, yeah, he's he's like he's packing for a trip, but he's essentially packing the same kind of tools. Yeah, and he doesn't want to stop for directions. He doesn't want to double back if he forgot something. And according to him, the freeway is the only way to get there because he just doesn't slow down. Like, and not even just in a literal sense, but like mentally, right? Like, you know, the, the, there's not that. Like, he, it's like oh, there's a, there's a constant urgency. Like, I have to do this until the wheels fall off. Whether it's, you know, against OSP where he's just repeating the same things and he was lucky enough to kind of have like an Arnold Allen, Yatsen Meza where he gets the, uh, he it's the decision, but it's kind of a third round knockout when you watch the fight, you know? Yeah. It kind of, but I wonder if that almost did a detriment because that kind of like, you know, tells him like, no, all you got to do is keep doing it and it'll eventually be there. Mm-hmm. And so what you see from um, Blok- Blokovic, Prochachka, and even in this fight, the sense that I got, the general sense that I got from watching it was that he just answers the call. There's no sign of stopping. There's no sign of listening to the corner, working on any of tactics. And maybe to his camp's credit, maybe they were working on, right? He's, he was actually working with a bit of a camp this time, Glover's Garage, baby. But, you know, he just, again, he's on the freeway. And he's like, I, I get what you're saying, but I've already started my trip and I can't stop. I'm sorry. I'll see you guys at the end of this. Like, it feels yeah, like it's that sure. every time. Hackstries in the chat just brought up I feel like before the team change he was benefiting a lot from slowly adding small things to his game but not losing them yeah I think that mm-hmm. makes sense like as he was coming up he was kind of he was building a little bit on that yeah. skill set uh, but he kind of lost that and the development kind of took a nosedive seemingly around the time he left the camp yeah especially ground stuff too which would make sense maybe I guess because one of his main camp stays was what uh, Joe, Joe Stevenson and that's what his specialty was grappling you actually saw some grappling in his regional scene. Like he knew how to play guys around the turtle and not get overly excited. And obviously the Yuri Prochaska fight, but like you saw, like he would be gifted some of those positions that he did show he knew what to do with in the amateurs. Yeah. And just too excited, too fast. Again, we're on the freeway, so I can't slow down. I can't. I can't look back there what I used to do. I, I'm, I'm it's now, and he just kind of has that has that uh, axerized. But since that, he's had no consistent forward development as a fighter. So all the flaws are so obvious. It, it does seem like that now, doesn't it? Does it not? Uh, I wish him nothing but the best, obviously, but that is definitely rough. Uh, good for Ryan Spann, who apparently said he never did a training camp before. I don't know what he's been doing this whole time what? then. Yeah, that's a quote that I saw floating is he tra- around. Is it because he's training all year round or because he's not training? I don't it's, it's It's like one of those things where it's like, I never lifted weights in my life before, but now I'm lifting weights. And it's like... <laughs> Did you you lifted weights before? You just did it wrong, and then you stayed away from it because you did it wrong. But 
let's not act like you just like you found a way you just like you know like there's always that exaggeration right like i've never done this before be now. A light heavyweight thing if there's one division where people just like Show go to up. the gym now and then and like mess around and then walk into a ufc fight it would be light heavyweight it's a very Derek Lewis thing too. It sounds like I mean, Derek Lewis. You can just never take him seriously, but he's always yeah. He's, like, he's definitely sounds like he's bullshitting. Oh yeah, I train by jerking off more and ordering a supersize <laughs> me. Or like, God damn it, Derek! Like we can't take anything you say seriously. I don't he's know how great. to wrestle, and he's like punching into like outside trips and stuff. So I'm gonna get up. I love I love Derek Lewis. Uh, shouts to the shouts to the turtle baby. Uh, turn your back into a ski slope. That's how you get up. Aaron Blanchfield <laughs> defeated Molly M- Molly Mahan Bradley. You like the fucking accent? Uh, yeah, uh, UFC, you know, uh, again, I'm not, you know, uh, again, I'm not downtrodden for, for the Barstool Army or anything like that. Uh, but, I'm, but I will say, though, there, there is a fair criticism I saw. It's like, yo, she's getting all this popularity and traction, and you go throw her to, like, the worst matchup on the prelims of a big show. It just was a lot of ass backwards, ass thinking here, but Blanchfield rolls on. Any thoughts, Ryan? At the very least, if they were going to set McCann up for getting run over like that, they should have done it on a card where they also set Patty Pimblet up to get run over. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I'm not going to sit here and I have too much respect to sit in front of you and pretend that I have any thoughts on Aaron Blanchfield. Same here. I'm not going to lie to you, Dan. It's in one ear and out the other for me too. I, I know I got to pay attention because she's, you know, she's going to be a contender in this division, and I'll have to, I'll have to write her up eventually. That's another thing. What takes me so long uh, to get some of these, like, the beginning of my week. So I was like, I wish I could just like, either like, e- either just, you know, uh, do a research, a, a, a breeze through, and like tell you my opinion. Bet if I want to bet it, just get it out of the way. But like the fact that I have to like shoot a video, write up a profile, write up all this stuff, right? And the worst is, like, here's what's going to happen. Aaron, Case in point, Aaron Blanchfield, or even, like, with guys like Arnold Allen, right? Like, you know, whatever men's popular division, good fighters, this even happens. They bury everybody on the prelims who they clearly have championship or at least contender trajectory, whether they're going to win or not, and they just bury them on the prelims. And then all of a sudden, I got a bunch of decisions, and I'm like, this person fought this many times, and they're all decisions? Oh, wow, that's what I'm doing for my whole weekend. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, do I have any of my previous notes I can crib and shortcut, you know, like with 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 other fighters? Nope, because the UFC has not done anything to give them a spotlight where I would even have to write about them on a main card. Yeah, Anyways, man, I gotta say, with the with the way the recent signings and matchmaking has been, doing weekly tape on that sounds brutal. It it is, man. It is. So shouts. To- Shouts to, shouts to everybody else in the grind. I, I am not the only one, but uh, we all have our different processes. Daniel and Dan on the fight site do that every Dude, week, too. I, don't I have no idea how they do that. And they, they got it out faster than I did. And like so does everybody, of course. So that's, that's a low bar to clear. I shouldn't say that. But, but those guys did a really good job. Uh, Andre Petrosky with his uh, Russian sickle tattoo. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, uh, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> forgive, forgive us, Americans. We love... As much as we love hating communism, like the the same the same uh, white people who hate the communism are the first to, to get all the communist stuff tattooed on them or make it their things, you know. Uh, this I don't. Dude's I don't born get in the it. U.S. He's born in Pennsylvania. He has a hammer and sickle tattoo. Yeah, he was also apparently the first like collegiate wrestling match in Madison Square Garden. DC was saying not world wrestling match because huh. DC beat him there, but yeah, he uh the first like collegiate matches they had at the Garden. He actually was like the first sl- uh, match that wrestled that day, so he actually could say that, which is pretty cool. And uh you know, uh, props to Petrovsky, man. He's a monster. He's a guy that just goes through fatigue, which I appreciate, and it is pretty rare. He always looks like he's gassing, but he's always got like third round finishes or close to. 
Um, I picked Herman in this fight. Um, shout out to Fenio. His analysis was spot on for this fight. Uh, I was incorrect. I just kind of, for me, it was just a, a big experience thing. Terman's way more experienced. Um, maybe the wrestling improved working with Glover, right? He's a Glover garage guy. Um, right. Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. To I know that's that's so hard to even gauge as any kind of reliable metric, but for what it's worth, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, so that was kind of my angle. And the better striker, which he was, and was going to the body, Again, round two was pretty close. I scored it for Petrovsky, even though I was biased and I was on the other side. I still scored it for Petrovsky, but it was another one of those things with... But even more so, I would say, uh, Ryan, than uh, Pajeda or Izzy rounds, where, um, like, Terman finished on his back, and even though they weren't clean elbows or ground and pound, it was really bad optics where he's gassed and he's just getting, you know, walloped, even though they're not the cleanest shots kind of a deal. Right. But if you actually go back in the round... Um, from the beginning to the middle, Terman was getting the better strikes on the feet and even like hurt him and kind of got him to double over. But as we've seen with fights like Andre Ull, Jonathan Martinez in Texas, you can get people literally doubling over in pain and judges will still award the round of that person somehow because it was a body they strike and don't who cares? seem to see it at all. I, it, it makes no sense. It makes no damn sense. Um, but even me, bias, I'm not, I'm not about ready to make that argument, which is why I didn't. So I'm definitely not dying on any hills. But again, body work people, crazy how how it gets reactions, but that actually made it more impressive to me that Petrovsky pulled through. So props to Petrovsky and anybody on him. Body work pays off, but not on the scorecards. Not on the scorecards. No, not on the scorecards, sadly. Um, you know, and that's just the truth. Even if uh, even if there's, you know, good judges out there that agree with me, it's just kind of a sad reality, right? Uh, Matt Frivola yep. defeated Otman Azatar, a dog I picked, but I didn't play in Steamroller. Uh, comes through. Um, you listen to the guy Matt from Volo talk. He reminds me of like a, of a, I forget, but like one of many Mike, Michael Rappaport roles. He just seems like a very honest, like, <laughs> kind of like, hey, you. Know, I was thinking maybe while I'm there at the UFC fight, I can get pictures with UFC fighters. And then I'm not trying to be mean. Like Matt Favola <laughs> literally like said this in an interview. And his coaches even like were giving him shit. And they're like, steamroller. You're a UFC fighter. you got to stop being a fan. You <laughs> realize rocks. that some of them might actually want to see you. You know that, right? <laughs> and he just seems like a, just a, such an innocent and affable guy, which makes me love him more, of course. Uh, but I was happy to see him come through here. I don't know if you have any thoughts or even know any of these guys. Ottman was the uh, potato bag bringing the steroids. What's in the bag? Uh, over in Abu Dhabi a couple years ago, guy. But, yeah. I think I've seen Ottman fight once or twice. He's the guy that just bites down on his mouthpiece and swings crazy overhands, right? Yeah, and he's got the brother Abu, and they uh, can literally like do crazy stuff, like allegedly maybe pour gasoline on their enemies, and the uh, their government, high-ranking government officials will get them out of trouble with the UFC, oh, damn. And local law. They get training with all the uh, all the Khabib or anybody of like, uh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, in the in the in yikes, the net, but the, not the, surprising in the yikes net of power, if that makes sense. They're they're all connected, yep. right? Yeah, and he's just—he has amazing training partners. Everybody like loves him and is afraid of this guy. And uh, so I—I was, I was scared to pick against him because I'm just like, like I, I remember like his his brother his brother recently got exposed. Uh, Fenyo was recently talking about this like by like not a great fighter in the middleweight division. And it's so funny because it's just like, dude, did did the ref get like like Jaron Vallel like looked like he was threatened his life was threatened if he was gonna stop that match like he looked deathly afraid to stop the match and his brother Abu is just getting beaten to piss like he falls down he drops his mouthpiece like he got knocked out on his feet and didn't know where he was and he's like trying to pick up his mouthpiece instead of defend punches and they let it go on for like another round (laughs) 
And then, then, they, they, then they stopped it like five seconds before, and you just see the ref like uh, you never see the ref apologize for their call. He is profusely apologizing to the Azatars in the corner. Like oh, he knows man. he wants he wants to get to his bed that night. He's <laughs> he is like, what can I do to make this right? <laughs> I didn't want to stop it too early, but I also yeah. didn't want to stop it too late. Oh my god, what am I doing? Yep, yep. Uh, I saw a clip of this. Uh, yeah, it just seems like. Ottoman was going crazy and totally lost his feet in an exchange and got punished hard for it. Yes, yeah. We love to see people getting punished for poor positioning, especially yep. when they allegedly do a lot of bad things. Absolutely, yeah, allegedly, allegedly. Keyword. Hopefully, let's just hope. Hey, let's just hope. Enough, let's just hope Steamroller gets to enjoy his bonuses in peace there. Uh, Carolina Kovalkevich defeated Sylvia Gomez Juarez. Hey, this is this is my age group right here. Thirty-seven strong in the house. What's up, <laughs> ladies? Thirty-seven. You doing good? Don't worry. No hate. I, I got appreciation for both of you. All right, Dan. Don't be creepy. What do you got for this fight, Ryan? <laughs> anything? Nothing. It's um, okay. I don't have anything. I don't have anything. So I didn't. I heard it. Carolina was fighting. I think yesterday, and that's when I learned Carolina was still in the UFC. Yeah. Yeah, right. I know. She actually won her last fight, too, which is I, I completely forgot. It's good to see her pick up a win here. Yeah. Absolutely. She's a she's a sweetheart. Um, Mike Trezano defeated Sung Woo Choi. The, Zane Simon, to Zane Simon's dismay, the cowboy hat that just won't die. Um, which I completely <laughs> share the sentiments, by the way. And it's nothing that has nothing to do with American flag, by the way, like like Zane Simon, but like Toby Keith would not wear this hat, okay? This uh, that that Mike Trezano oh, God. wears. I just looked it up. It's so bad. It is. And apparently Is he doing that ironically? Well, is he like a hipster who's like joking? Well, I don't know, but apparently they gave him like the Li Jing Lang treatment or like how they do with Li Jing Lang's China stuff and even including his Chinese necklace where they just rip it off him. Uh, but apparently like the officials or whatever, I don't know if they're UFC or not, but they, they ripped the, the, the hat away from him and he was pissed. So in his in his post fight <laughs> he's like, You don't you don't, you don't take these with American flag on it. He was like getting really upset, and um and 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 like he was like getting. Isn't that and, a violation and, of flag code? Like a flagrant violation? Yeah, and then everybody, so everybody of course was like getting behind him, right? And I'm just like, oh poor Zane, and and anybody who shares his opinion, which is myself as well. Again, it's not it's not because it's an American flag thing or a cowboy thing, folks. There's plenty of cool things that could be made with either of those patterns but the, this particular one no it is it is it is not a great argument it's so bad um, yeah yeah it is bad so it will uh so of course that is, he is going to secure his hat's future with a with his first stoppage finally <laughs> over some choice now it's his lucky hat it's never going away I mean, first Rick from The Walking Dead, uh, you know, uh, Glenn from The Walking Dead, Rick Glenn, <laughs> Glenn from The Walking Dead, <laughs> then, you know, Dong Young Ma, right, you know, which gave me flashbacks to Glenn from The Walking Dead with all the beatings that he took, and, you know, shout to my guy, uh, you know, uh, shout, sh sh you know sh shout to the Southpaw Podcast, my guy Sam Yang there, uh, Korea Strong, you know, he was just like, I hate it when my Korean brothers, you know, my they don't use their defense, and, um... Man, we got to add Sung Woo Choi to that I pile. The Korean brothers that use their defense, not to call out an entire country, but it, it is a consistent feature of Korean fighting. I'm trying not to bring up any boxing examples because you know where I'm going. But yeah, it's tough, man. It's it's tough, and I, I love it because you know the Just Bleed fan that exists us in us all to, to different varying degrees. Uh, who doesn't appreciate, especially when you get like Korea and Mexico? You know, like those are yeah, just the best. They're insanely oh. tough. Oh, Korea, Mexico, any day. That, that's Claudio Paez. Not Claudio Paez. No, the, the, not, not, not that guy. Who was the guy that fought uh, UFC 199 against Dong Young Ma? The, 
he knocked out. Um, oh yeah, Polo Reyes. Polo Reyes, it? yeah, he knocked out for Vola, but yeah, yeah, that was a crazy, crazy fight. You know, that was wild. Yeah, see, all you gotta do is ra- that's all you gotta do is racially stereotype. That's the secret to matchmaking, <laughs> right? If you see a Korean who can make it through the regional scene into the UFC with his chin intact, you know that guy's tough as hell and can bang. Yeah, bang, bang, Koontz. Uh, speaking of uh, gambling, <laughs> um, by the way, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, um, but yeah, good on him, I guess, and sad on that. Uh, Montel Jackson defeated Julio Arce. This made me sad. Um, again, this is my bias. It's a southpaw veteran guy experience. I like Arce's style. And it, I don't have anything against Jackson. Like, I do think he's got a good high ceiling. I, and I don't think it was like a I, – I didn't even think even before this it was a case like Poyez where he's like – he's fraudulent, right? You know what I'm saying? Like he's like yeah. – he's like like like, like that guy, uh, uh, Gamzatov, Shamzatov, the fraudulent Russian. like Oh, yeah, Shamil Gamzatov. Yeah, Montel Jackson, he's like the kind of guy that relies a lot on athleticism and power and dynamism and all that. Mm-hmm. But he's not a leg locker. Like he, he has no. some tricks. He can he can fight. No, and he knows like the value of risk control, which is good when you have giant Francis Ngannou hands. <laughs> I mean, the guy is like five ten, looking bordering on five eleven. He's got like a seventy five inch reach. Like he would be above average as a lightweight, where I think he's gonna finish his career. Yeah, dude, um, is insane. It's big. I mean, Julio Arce. I know he's not the biggest guy, so maybe Montel didn't look as big as I was making it out to be. But Arce used to fight at featherweight and has beaten bigger featherweights before, for what that's worth for scale. Yeah. Um, but I just me, it was more of a fade of like. These guys were like, I just feel like they're in the wrong division, and people get mad at me. It's like nothing personal, like to Andre Ull, who people think I hate Andre Ull, but it just was he, he got a bad scorecard against Jonathan Martinez, and he's one of these guys like O'Malley or Montel Jackson, where they're tall and lanky, and they're cutting to a lot of weight to a lower weight class. And coincidentally, you tend to see when they continue to do that into their 30s, either durability issues or gas tank issues, which we've seen gas tank with Montel. We've certainly seen durability with O'Malley, and we've seen both those issues with guys like Ool. You know, and you scale up Corey Anderson, old school, the guy who snapped his shin first in the UFC, long, lanky, lightweight. Again, bad things tend to happen when you press your luck. So it was more yeah. just a roll of the dice on that, if anything. But yeah, it, it, it didn't go through here. Yeah, this was a bit of a disappointing one for me, too. I'm a big Arce fan. Mm. Really love his style. Uh, he struggled a lot with the uh, fighting a long southpaw. It re- was really hard for him to get to the head. He was trying, he was reaching a lot with his right hand uh, and wasn't really comfortable until later in the fight boxing his way in. And he seemed kind of uncomfortable with the matchup. He's used to being the like, being able to jab on the outside and counter guys coming in, but he had to spend all fight reaching for Jackson here. Um, yeah. Yeah, about Jackson's weight class, I think the being a gigantic monster is usually a good thing if you're a grappler, but strikers... Mm-hmm. I think there's kind of diminishing returns on that. If you're huge for your weight class, um, it might be a better idea to move up and be fast for your other weight class. He'd it's actually something for featherweight. He'd still be the yeah, biggest guy. Yeah, for sure. And he'd be a lot faster compared to those guys. That's something I've wondered about with Julio Arce, too, uh, whether bantamweight is the best division for him. Although, it's funny to think that mm, since going yeah. down, he's like mostly fought a bunch of big guys who are like still taller and longer than him. They always do that, don't they? Like whether it was Joe Silver or not, they always this do that. Seems to like, happen a lot. Especially, especially but, like someone who's like has to kill themselves for the weight. Like you don't understand how hard it is for some of us to cut this weight. Like you're giving us like just to fight somebody like two heads taller than you anyway. Dude, my my like, one of my point? one of my nagas last time I made like 49, 149 pounds, which was insane, right? Like I just it killed myself. I had to eat like raw vegan the last week of it. 
Um, I was just like, I got pictures, like I was super slim. And like, I just, it's just, it's such a process for my thick, you know, dense Hawaiian bone body to get down there. And of course, like the first guy I go against is just a a fucking tank where I'm like, uh, oh, the one seventies are over there. What are you doing here? <laughs> and like, that's kind of it's a mental it's a mental thing, you know. And of course, the guy thrashed me. Like he would have tech falled me if it was wrestling, right? But it's Naga, so I just get embarrassed with the way I have to like while I'm getting dominated. I look up at the scoreboard and go, "Oh, that's nice," uh, you know. And uh, and to, you know what? To be fair though, I made it to the end, and he literally either tapped or injured, and literally just ran through the rest of the people through first. So I'm like, okay, if oh, I'm wow. gonna lose in the first round, that's how it's got to be. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, he was putting people in like hot, like they, they were having to go to the uh, hospital station or whatever after like to get stuff looked oh, at. Shit. Like, so I was like, okay, I, I don't feel as bad. <laughs> no kidding. Like, Man, I, remember, I remember my first uh, grappling competition. I was like 12 years old or something. Uh, and it was an age group thing too. So like everybody within a year or two of me and my second match, I look at the guy and like, he's huge and very muscular and he has like a full fucking beard. <laughs> like what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? Can, I'm 12. We can do that. That's possible. Jesus. Why didn't I get those jeans? Yeah, right. I'm still I'm still struggling over here. But yeah, <laughs> uh, credit to Montel Jackson. I think what threw him off was something that you know was talked about with the Connor and Poirier later in their series was the lead hand when you have the southpaw versus southpaw. And I don't remember it when I saw tape, but it looked like Jackson did some work because he also had a strong left hand that he would kind of sit back and counter. Um, yep. But his lead hand seemed to throw uh, his checking jab and checking hooks. And again, just it doesn't have to be a heavy or full shots, but a checking lead hand is such a pain for all stances to deal with when it's a southpaw in particular. Yeah. So I think that was a that was something he wasn't expecting. Whereas Ool was more of a kind of a one trick pony, not a lot of kicks, pretty rote uh, same pretty rote left hands to the body or head variations, just maybe timing changes, so a little easier. Um, lastly, but not leastly, Carlos Olberg defeated uh, Nikolai uh, Nigamariano. It looks like Olberg had a lot of practice uh, playing Pajeda as his um, prodding leg kicks, jabs to checking, uh, draw and checking hooks. Uh, played perfectly for, to uh, Nigamariano, who looks like he compromised his leg and was forced to go even more batshit crazy and defenseless than he already presents himself. <laughs> I didn't see the fight, but I caught the knockout on this one. It was a nice little jab hook combo. Actually, just so you know, Dan, Ryan doesn't mean run over in a fighting sense. He means literally run over. <laughs> Patty Pimplet. Yes. <laughs> I don't wish fighters ill, but I mean, it is like kind of like it. I love Chance and Jung, for example, but like when he got knocked out by Yair, that was a complete family guy style knockout that looked just kind of funny <laughs> the way he was laying there. Like, I feel like Molly and um, I think, well, actually, that did happen to Molly when she was choked unconscious, but I think Molly and Patty are particularly poised. For some Family Guy uh, posterizations, <laughs> right? Does that make sense? I can definitely see that. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you there. All right, that's that's the whole card. We just hit the two hour mark, which is my max, man. Thank you for. I, I hope I didn't mess up the the rest of your day tomorrow by staying late with me. But thank you. Oh no, Ryan. No thank I was going to be up late anyway. Thank you, James Kendrick, Hacks, Dan Albert, Kyle Mack, uh, Jin Karasu, um, Ghost Phantom. Uh, we, had a, we had a new person here, Carlos Guillermo. Uh, by the way, Guillermo del Toro, man, that, that guy just loves dissecting stuff and having organs and like tissue. That's that's his thing, isn't it? Uh, I've been getting into his. I've been finally di- diving into his library. I'm digging it. I'm just uh, finally. Di- I'm late to the party, digging into a lot of his films. I know. 
don't don't tell Kyle Mack. He's gonna he's gonna fucking stab me. <laughs> uh, I love Kyle. By the way, I just said because I respect. Is that one of the guys he doesn't like? I guess I don't know if he does or doesn't. doesn't like, but I, I, yeah, I know. I, I he probably I, doesn't. He hates most people. Most I don't directors. know what to say. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to just, say. Just don't mention Ari Aster around him. Yeah, or or uh, what was his what's his name? Uh, Nolan. Uh, Nolan. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan. Like why am I why That's am I it. blanking on fucking his name? Of course. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. But uh, thank you, Ryan. Uh, at, well, I'll let you uh, at Ryan uh, A Wag System as you can see on the name tag. Ryan, if you want to plug uh, fight site, anything you you want, sir. The floor is yours before we get out of here. Yeah. Um. Come check us out on the fightsite.com. We have a Patreon. Uh. You can get access to a bunch of video studies, articles, Patreon podcasts. We have a podcast where you can ask us questions. We have a bunch of people from all disciplines of combat sports who know a lot of stuff uh, and are happy to answer your questions. Um, yeah, come check us out. I'm on Twitter at Ryan Awag Sistema. And thanks for having me on, Dan. It was a lot of fun. It's a pleasure. It's the least I could do for a site who actually like uh, answered my request when I asked you guys to ask Ed Gallo to break down the wrestling, the naked wrestling that took place in the sauna scene <laughs> in Eastern Promises. You know, for Russia to keep keep to keep to, to, to keep rounding the bases of Russian uh, Russian combat sports. You guys love so much, right? I hope I contributed okay. Oh man, I gotta take a look at that. I haven't seen that. But that sounds amazing. It's gotta be still be up there. It was great. I just I I tortured Ed and made him do it. He actually, he's, I don't even know if he saw the movie or was aware of it. But uh, yeah, there's a whole naked uh, Beagle Mortensen uh, dingling dingling fight scene that you can just can go watch. It's pretty brutal. It's pretty brutal too. And there is wrestling. There's actually like arm drags and stuff that he has to like he has to like break down while like Beagle Mortensen's balls are flying everywhere. It's great. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and you can, and you don't have to see it, but you can just see it on Ed's face because he's having to like talk through it, like face himself and try to give like actual analysis. All just like blood and like dongs are everywhere. Anyway, it's great. You gotta go check oh, it. That's out. incredible. Fightsite.com. There we go. <laughs> There's a plug. There's a plug. All right. Th- thanks, you guys. Um, uh, again, uh, it was fun, fun after party edition. It's, it's good that I can actually come on here in a, in a, in a decent mood, uh, have a, an excellent analyst and a friend and you guys as friends, so uh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a good weekend, and always protect...